Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I am Ripper, Terror, Slasher, Gouger. I am the teeth in the darkness, the talons in the night. Mine is strength and lust and power. I am podcast. Yeah, yeah, of course you had to, right? Very, very good, good, good job, good job, what good, gro- good, uh, aggro Winstone. Yeah, right. It's not the Zisco of Winstone. It's the yelling at you that I am Beowulf. <laughs> He's Beowulf. All right, this man. I'm kind of calm now, but now I'm Beowulf. How how else would you know him? Him Beowulf. He has to know. He was, uh, sorry for the misunderstanding here. I should have introduced myself earlier. Oh, Beowulf. What do I know about cholesterol? That's that. He used to do this ad. I have. I feel like I've talked about it on the podcast before, for like Special K or some some healthy cereal. Wasn't it Weetabix or no? No, no. Bob Hoskins was Weetabix. Um, but at one point he goes, but what do I know about cholesterol? It was a great. No, no one thought you knew anything about cholesterol. Way it wasn't a problem. To be fair, I thought he knew a lot about cholesterol. <laughs> you did. All right, fair yeah. enough. Wait, now I have um, to look this up. It's a. It's see, for some. Go ahead. Go we, ahead. Go ahead. I confirmed that no, because Bob Hoskins was the voice of one of the Weetabix Tufts in the commercial where the Weetabix was animated and animate, and he was like, "I damn Weetabix, ain't I?" Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, you know, famously in Britain, Bob Hoskins, it's good to talk. You know, he was the, good the, to the voice of British Telecom. Right. But now I'm trying to figure out which uh, serial Ray Winstone. Oh, God damn it. Well, David, don't this beat is... yourself up. I mean, you have to look this up. It's the first time you would ever hear this information. This is new Opt- to you. And Optivia. you wouldn't even know where to look. It was called Optivia. Optavia. It was, it was a serial. Yeah, I'm watching the ad now. When it comes to food, there's a bit of a nanny culture thing going on. Food is, don't do that, do this. He's just like monologuing at us, like talking about like, they're always nannying us. When from? Um, That's a great question. 2006. Around this time. Around this time. He's feeding you Optivia and teaching you about ancient Norse culture. Simultaneously. Right. Getting this big Beowulf paycheck. <laughs> Getting that wolf money. Top build in a $100 million American animated film. Uh, can I can I throw out a couple other uh, quotes from this uh, Beowulf IMDb quote page? Go ahead. Wiglaf. Best character. Bracket. Best character. Stabbing at Grendel's crotch. I swear the bastard has no pintle. <laughs> <laughs> That's old English, Griffin. That's old English. <laughs> It propels the plot, though, because when he discovers that his eardrums are his pintle, he says something to the tune of the pintle pointing at his eardrums. The pintle. Yeah. Here's another classic, classic quote from the movie Beowulf, the 2007 Robert Zemeckis Beowulf film. Uh, King Hrothgar, yep. during Grendel's attack, and then here's the quote. A sword! Give me a sword! Is that it? Yeah, remember that quote? 
I, I mean, you seem to be you're getting mad at the IMDb quotes page for for Beowulf now. Now, now you're just now you're okay. just picking fights. Okay, but what about this one? What about this quote from Wiglaf? Okay, Wiglaf. Wiglaf is a great character. Wiglaf rules. Load of laughs. I agree. And here's a great quote from a great character. Ready? Wiglaf seeing the dragon for the first time. Odin swiping balls. <laughs> All right, that one's good. Come on, that one's good. I swear to God. Sw- swiving means uh, to, to, to lay with a woman. Wow. So his right. balls fuck? <laughs> you're, telling me, fuck. you're telling me that this guy's balls fuck? Hey, you know, it was ancient times. What can I tell you? Wig laugh. Um, hello, everybody. This is a little podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. My name is Griffin. I am David. This is Beowulf. <laughs> This is a, a podcast about filmographies. Yeah. Directors who have massive success early on in their career to give a series of black checks, make whatever crazy passion products they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. It's a Mayfit series on the films of Robert Zemeckis, uh, that tricky Bobby Z. And uh, today we're talking about. Uh, I was going to say one of his weirder entries, but this would be a weirder entry in almost anyone else's filmography. And instead you're just like, oh yeah, another Zemeckis movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, he has made a lot of weird movies. I guess it's tough for me to, yeah. No, it's, it's the weird. It's very weird. It's very weird. But here's the thing. I feel like in someone else's career, this would be uncontested the weirdest. And instead, this is in that batch of five where you have to like wrestle with which one might be weirdest. No, this is the weirdest. It's the one that looks like a PS2 cutscene where there's like jizz all over a fake uh, Angelina Jolie in a cave. Excuse me, golden jizz. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Introduce golden. our guest, Griffin. Well, I was trying to start the show quickly, get the introductions out of the way quickly. Because our guest needs no introduction, hence why we have not introduced him the previous times he's been on the show. Apparently a sticking point. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, you know, it's just, uh, you know, when you're a guest on a popular podcast, your introduction is the thing you look forward to the most. Anybody who says otherwise is lying. And the two times I've been on the show prior, my introduction has come about 11 seconds before we were all out the door. I mean, a classic bit, though. It's a classic bit. bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a classic bit. Uh, you you are notorious for usually, I mean, let's say, this is the reason I've always held off your introduction for the last minute. You think so thoroughly that a podcast peaks when you're introduced that you tend to leave the show right after your introduction. <laughs> right. You're That's notorious right. for bailing post-intro. Beowulf, 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 Beowulfling. Oh, I don't David. know. I'm sorry. David. I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. David. That was amazing. <laughs> I tried to leap on that, and it and it just blew up in my face. David, you have to leave. <laughs> I'm gonna go. You, you have to bail a wolf on this podcast. You can't do the same joke that I was about to do. Come yeah, on, I made it cleaner. I didn't. I didn't stumble on it. I didn't hit any speed bumps. Yeah, I didn't all right, bail fine. Wolf. Jesus, there. Um. There are no wolves in Beowulf. Hmm. That dog in the beginning kind of has some wolf characteristics. It's a fair point. I guess there's no absolute wolf character. So, you know, but, you know, there are a lot of wolves roaming around back then, right? Like, it, it was sure, more of an yeah. issue. I mean, yeah, m- maybe there are no wolves in- exactly to speak of in this episode, but uh, <laughs> this movie is full of some dirty dogs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Everyone at home, lean in for that joke. Uh, yeah. This movie's like uh, wall-to-wall wolf whistles. 
this is his horniest movie. I mean, it's, that's kind of what's most fascinating about it is he's this filmmaker where you feel like he's just keeping his horniness at bay. Like he's trying not to go full horny on Maine, but it's always like, it's right there. He always got one scene where it peeps out and you're just like too horny, too horny, Bobby. And this movie, he's like, ah! Okay. It's very horny. I have a couple things to say to that. One, you're probably right. It's probably his horniest movie. You are forgetting Marwin is horny I th- in its I own way. I think this is hornier. Yeah, I think it is too. But two, this also this movie is like so completely subsumed in fears of castration. Yes. Like in the most like basic Freudian male sexual like terror that like horny isn't even the word. It definitely, there's a lot going on sexually with this movie. It's his weird Catholic guilt movie. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. In certain ways, look, there's a lot to dig into here, but our guest today, you know him from the Blue Steel episode. <laughs> sure. Kids went crazy for that. You know him from our Melvin and Howard episode. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Jordan Hoffman is here. Oh, wait, hold on. To talk Beowulf. Oh, my God. Applause. To applause. Oh, my God. It's a big day. It's a big day. Hello, everyone. Nice to see you all. What a pleasure. Um, it's a pleasure, Griffin. And Dave Sims, Dave, uh, you and I normally see one another on the reg in a non... Yeah, once a week, maybe more. In a non-pandemic era. And right. we, we have not seen each other in a long time. So it's really nice to see you through the... Um, I know this is an audio show for the yeah, but we, we can see each other, you know, on yeah, the screen. Yeah. yeah, so it's nice. You look, you look beautiful. Oh, oh I, I, that's yeah, ridiculous. And then you look no. nice. Too. Oh, everybody. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I miss you know just trekking up to the AMC Lincoln Square, like at seven o'clock on a Monday to see you know whatever underwater. This year's Beowulf. Right, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And thinking, like, this sucks. You remember when you used to, like, complain about screenings? Right, yeah. We'd record an episode, and you'd be like, ugh. Now I, I have, have to... to go uptown, right, to see Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. And now ugh. it's just like, I would crawl across broken glass yes. to see Sonic the Hedgehog in a theater. Yeah, at a fucking 9 p.m. matinee. Do you remember that the glory <laughs> days when we got to see Sonic at 9 p.m. on a Saturday? You, you mean 9 a.m.? 9 a.m., sorry. Right, that was a morning screen. Did you see Sonic, Jordan? Were you there? Were you one of the few, uh, the chosen few? I think I did miss that one. I did mm. miss that one. Had, it had Sonic in it. But I've done... I've done my share of those Saturday 9 a.m.s. You know, I've seen Hop mm. with, uh, what's his Russell name? Russell Brand. There you go. Yeah. Right, he was Hop. <laughs> he was r- second runner-up for Beowulf. He was almost Beowulf. He would have been great. Could you imagine? Swaggering in. Imagine like, it. Oh, I'm Beowulf. Um, Grendel, mind going around the shop? Going around the corner shop and uh, pick me up some kippers. Right, that's what they do in England, right? They go to absolutely. That would have come up. He he would have a yeah. uh, uh, prank phone called uh, Grendel on his radio show and made jokes about having <laughs> sex with Grendel's mother. Oi, Grendel! I I had a bang with your mum. <laughs> Isn't that how they do it? Oh yeah. Here's the yeah. thing I've been thinking about do it. recently. I don't think I said this on this podcast. I think I said this maybe somewhere off mic to you, David. Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog is currently the last film to make $100 million at the domestic box office, wow. right? I believe that's accurate. I can't imagine what else they It, it comes out do, in right? February. It has a big, big opening. It's the last film that opened strong enough and had enough time afterwards to make 
easily yeah. over a hundred million dollars. Yes. It had legs. It, it, it had, had legs. Blue furry legs. And, and, and they went legs. like this. <laughs> Fast. They just went like a yep. wheel. How long do we think it is before another film crosses a hundred million dollars? It's a great question. Right? Like, how long is Sonic the Hedgehog going to hold on to that title as the last blockbuster? I hope a long time. Years. Monster Hunter? But Monster Hunter, right, that's supposed to come out when? January, February? Christmas, Christmas. Is it still on Christmas? I feel like it's one of the only movies that hasn't moved. Well, you know, I I mean, I don't want to be too optimistic, but they are announcing today, I mean, not to put a time stamp, there was encouraging news today about the encouraging uh, the news vaccine. from from two places about yes. vaccine, and then there's a second news item that they have a therapy drug. And did you see the name of this therapy drug? It's like Bob Bob Black Betty Bam and Am. I don't know, something like that. It's a ridiculous name. I mean, could you imagine the world being saved by a medicine called? Are you gonna look it up? Bam Lanivimab. <laughs> yes, Bam Lanivimab. Bam 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 Laniv- Imab, ban ban lamb of imab. <laughs> what the hell? Well, how do they come up with these? I things? think they were in like a cave with Angelina <laughs> Jolie and hunting the sword and various north, uh, various north totems. And a genie said, "Bam lamb I'm gonna just call it Bam Margera for short. Oh, uh, Viva La Bam, yeah, Bam, Viva La Bam. Hook me up with some Bam. But the BAM might do the trick, and I'll take a little BAM. You know, why not? I'll, uh... at, the, at the time we're recording, there was a deadline story today about how, like, Wonder Woman is the one big movie still on the schedule for Christmas. We're recording this in early yeah. November, and that it's like the the theater chains are making the last big plea to uh, uh, California, L.A., New York government officials to get them to open the theaters in time for Christmas because apparently, like, this is the week where Warner Brothers needs to pull the trigger on the marketing campaign or give up yeah, on releasing it this year. There's a lot of rumors that it'll get bumped to the summer. Right. Yeah. But they're like throwing out the last Hail Mary pass. Right, right. I have right. mixed feelings. I have mixed feelings. There's no, it's a shitty it situation. I don't know if you can cuss, oh, but uh, it's a you shitty can situation. Cuss Wait, a storm. Of course you can. I don't like to cuss. No, I don't, you know me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm all, I'm family man. But you know, uh, speaking of cussing, in this here Robert Zemeckis mm. motion picture, you'll hear... Costas Mandalore's voice in a shitty CG fane from God knows where saying to a busty wench, come on, my mighty lust limb can transport you to paradise, to ecstasy and back. No other man will ever be able to satisfy you again. That's old English, Jordan. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, right. That's, that's You're supposed to walk into the room saying that in a that's, booming voice. Yeah, into a mead hall. Directly from the poem, I'm pretty sure. That's a direct translation. I got a quick uh, follow-up question for you, uh, Jordan. Uh, that that busty wench, uh, yeah, uh, wiping down the tables. Who has an extended sequence where they cut back and forth between her and Mandalore, oh. and her pendulous breasts just swing and jiggle in glorious three D PlayStation three level graphics. I, I think you want to say I think it's three double D Griffin. How come on? I mean, oh wow. <laughs> Do you do you know who plays that wench? <laughs> no, no. I wish I did. Leslie Zemeckis. Leslie Zemeckis. This is a through line. He gets remarried to a woman who I believe at that point in time is predominantly a burlesque performer. Yes, uh, I can look it up officially. It happens right before the motion capture era. But there is a burlesque 
marionette in Polar Express that I swear is modeled after her. This character is yeah. modeled after her, played by her, and then she's also one of the women of Marwin. He loves making she these is. really horny, sexualized depictions of his wife in these CGI movies. That's a great story. I mean, right? that means that warms the cockles of my heart. I mean, uh, who says romance is dead? She she isn't indeed credited in the Polar Express in Beowulf in Marwin. She's also credited. In a Christmas Carol, so we got to watch out for her in that one. I'm Apparently looking here at the credits. The Fred's ghost of wife. Boner's future. Oh, Fred's wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, God, that's the one I'm the least looking forward to. Well, I mean, so right before that, you're right. Before this scene, um, she's wiping down the table. Costas Mandalore says that his loins are burning by looking at her, and then there's a joke. Now, so. There's a joke right before the the line I just quoted, my muddy lust limb can transport you to paradise. Um, when they're outside and uh, and there's a noise, and he's like, "Well, was that was that your your demon?" And she says, "No, no, that was a wolf." You don't hear Grendel when he comes, and he goes, "Well, ha ha, you'll hear me, I promise." Yes. Now, what's amazing yeah. is that this movie's PG thirteen. PG thirteen. This is a PG thirteen, and film. It's, it is animated. And they were pushing, and we're going to get into this, I'm sure. They were pushing the 3D in this movie. Hard. This movie was was a line in the sand before Avatar. Before Avatar, there was Beowulf. This was the first like modern digital 3D movie yeah. on a thousand screens. This was the widest release. Nobody yes. remembers it. That's why this episode of of, of this podcast is, is significant and important, yeah. and we all should be excited. Um, so it's for kids. This movie's for this movie's for kids. Cliff notes. If I was in school, I'd watch this as Cliff Notes, baby. I'm not reading this shit. I'm watching this movie. Here's the thing, Ben. Here's the thing. If you read the, if you watch this as Cliff Notes and then went into school and yes. used this movie, your teacher would be like, uh, I don't know. You've where got you're a, getting a wild from reading because... on that poem. Do you know, Ben? None of the sex stuff is in the poem. Oh boy. The the, right. well, the king yeah. isn't Grendel's father. Beowulf isn't the dragon's yeah. father. That would be an awkward book report. So, yeah. okay. Noted. You just don't do what I just describing said. Describing fucking. But your teacher would know. It's like, oh, you saw that horny Costas Mandalore, didn't you? You saw I mean, That was pretty. You uh, blame it on Mandalore. Right. Well, okay. We yeah. got to pull this back. Okay. We got to pull, pull it back. This pull away back. back. All right. We're here to talk about Beowulf. Um, uh, obviously, podcast away, Robert Zemeckis. Um, Beowulf. So. The eighth century. No, no, I'm kidding. What? No, there. No. <laughs> Let's. We got to go all the way back to the eighth century. What's no, the first um, line of Beowulf? This movie. What's the first line of the movie or of the? Poem? I can tell you what it is. It's a shredding guitar line. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it, it sure is. is. It basically sounds like corn. Um, but after you hear some corn and they chant Hrothgar, Hrothgar enters puny little CG awful looking Anthony Hopkins and he says <laughs> I want mead oh wow yeah, he does he does oh are you setting up your uh... yeah I'm setting some up now I wish we could be there today in, in person that's the sad thing about this being uh, the, the pandemic because I happen to have here and I'm going to uncork it for you I have and this is no joke I know I have a bottle of mead whoa here. that's right yeah. that's I, right wow. I have a bottle of mead. I'm going to drink a little mead while we do our show. And I'm going to Yeah, I mean, a little of that stuff goes a long way. Progress- I'm going to put it in an original Star Trek 3, the, the Search for Spock glass. 
Let's see um, it. Let's see. I want to see that glass. Yeah, Taco Bell put these out a long time uh, ago. Well, Hoffman, I I feel like I have to match you, my good man. So I am going to. Do you have meat also? No, I have a, a raspberry flavored white claw, and I'm going to pour that into a, a C3PO <laughs> tiki mug. Oh, nice, nice. All right, Jesus. Now I want to drink. Lahayam. Now, now, meat is essentially like fermented honey. Uh, I, I think right. I've had it. Once or it twice. Good. It was it's, like the it's, White Claw of its day. Overly <laughs> sweet. It's a good trainer for middle schoolers who have <laughs> stolen some drinks. It's like lean. It's like now the kids have lean. Back then they had mead. Kids love lean. The, the, the thing about mead is it's an ancient drink. Yes. And, but so is wine and beer. People still drink wine and beer. They don't drink mead. And for a very good reason. Right. It's terrible. I think <laughs> that the, the, the wine and beer of the, of the day would, would, would baffle our tongues, right? Like, I think they've evolved. Oh. They've modernized. Right, um, but even so, mead was the sweeter option. Mead was your Sminoff ice, your Mike's Hard, your, your White Claw. Right. Your sure. Four loco was your mead. Yeah. So I'm drinking mead. Hrothgar loved his mead, and, and I'm having some today, too. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. So we're here to talk Beowulf as we drink our mead in our um, in our beer hall. Um, Jordan, you demanded to be on this episode. You said you were at the premiere. Am I making that up? I was at the big event screening in, in New York. In, in New I don't York, think it was right. The it premiere, wasn't the, yeah. the Hollywood premiere or whatever, but it was, you know, whatever. I, I feel like you you threw out your shot to be on this episode before Zemeckis had even won March Madness. Like, it was like, in the early rounds, you were like, if Zemeckis wins, I'm doing Beowulf. Yeah, because this movie is fascinating. It's fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating blend it is. of a lot of stuff. And um, when we get to some of the performances, um, the, when we get to um, uh, Screwy, what's his name? When we get I, to the guy, Crispin Glover. When we get to Crispin Glover, I have a little tale to tell. I have an oral poem, an epic poem to tell. I'll, I'll, wow. I'll light the bonfire and tell you an amazing story. But, uh, um, excited for that. I, I do like, I mean... I have extremely mixed feelings about this motion picture. I, I, I want to know what you guys think. I do too. I do think it's good on the uh, if 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 you made me decide. But I, yeah. I it's certainly a mixed feeling thing. I can't hate this movie. It's too much fun. I I come down pro, but it's one of those movies where watching it, you're like, this should rule, right? Like I should unabashedly love this. And there's obviously. The, the technical barrier that the yes. film is so yes. much a product of the filmmaking process at the time, them overreaching beyond their means. But but also there's just something that doesn't totally connect. It's not just that. It's an odd beast. The screen the screenplay is lopsided. But the thing is this, it, there's an inherent paradox in this film, which is the, tech, the technical barrier is huge. The movie just looks atrocious. I it mean, does. there are so moments bad. that are cool. The movement is good. But the, the dead eyes, the, the uncanny valley, the waxy it's faces, unbearable. Yes. Yeah, it is. So it is inherently a failure. And you say to yourself, well, if this was shot as a quote unquote real movie and not in this weird computer generated thing, it would be amazing. But you could never do it. It would cost $700 no. billion dollars and 20 people would have died. It, you can't make this movie 
like this. You can't do a shot for shot recreation of this with live action. It just can never be done. No. Th- that's the big quote. Uh, you know, Avery and Gaiman write this as a script because Avery had gotten hired to try to adapt Sandman and one of the many uh, misbegotten attempts to make a Sandman movie. Yes. They got close. Avery and Gaiman started talking Beowulf. I think it was Avery who had this reading of all this sort of sexual misconduct within Beowulf. Yeah. The fact that you never really understood the relationships, who Grendel's father was, where the dragon I want to get from. all into that. I'm going to believe me. There's well, all we'll get con- into yes, it. Yes. But I, I guess I'll let you I'll let you splay that all out. But to jump ahead, it was a script that Zemeckis was producing, uh, uh, signed on to produce. And Avery was going to direct as a $20 million Ro- movie. Roger Avery. Roger. Right, Roger Avery, who had won an Oscar for Pulp Fiction. This is before Laws of Attraction, post-Killing Zoe. He wanted to make a scrappy, sort of Excalibur-style, low-budget medieval film. Scrappy Wolf. Right, so he wrote a scrappy, talky Beowulf with this reading of the text with Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman, Sir Neil Gaiman. Uh, Zemeckis comes on as a producer. For years, it just doesn't get off the runway. Uh, then, post Polar Express, when he was like, fuck it, more, 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 more mocap, he goes back to them and says, I could get your script greenlit tomorrow, but you have to let me direct it because I think the way to do it is with mocap. And the big thing he says to them is, I want you to rewrite it and make it as big as you possibly can. Because they had written it budget consciously right and he was like forget it but the line he says that i remember repeating so much through the press at the time as they were trying to sell this movie as like it's this fucking hardcore adult action epic the reason it's animated isn't because it's for kids it's because you could never do this shit in live action and his big quote that he always repeated was i went to gay men and avery and said there is nothing you could possibly write which would cost me more than $1 million per minute. And for a 90-minute movie, that's not uh, that's nothing to sneeze at, or maybe right. it's two hours, but uh, yeah, all right, that works. Hair under. But it that's works. It very much is directed with that energy of just yeah. like, I'm going to do every fucking thing I've never been able to do as a filmmaker before. I mean, he rides a dragon with like bodies flying everywhere. He swings, he, he dislodges his own arm. And then he's got, like, basically full frontal Angelina Jolie in a PG-13 yeah. movie. What a time. Incredible chain work. Uh, I mean, a lot of chain work. Off the chain. So good. And just, I mean, he did it on Polar Express, but all the camera stuff and the zooming through things and the, yeah. you know, flipping around the room like crazy and all that. Like, you know, that's great. Let's also say this. for As much as this movie does not look good, Having just watched Polar Express and watching this and knowing those movies are three years apart, this is like a seismic event. That's the thing. And I wonder if uh, Christmas Carol will feel like that, too. Like, is it all big leaps? Because, yes, this looks way better than Polar Express, even though they still have the creepy flat faces. Like, you just can't get past the creepy flat faces. There are other things where you're like, oh, it looks okay. There are some shots that really work. Yes. I mean, it's, it's on a shot by shot. There's some shots you're like, yeah, yes. fucking hey, Beowulf, this movie rocks. And then they just do a cut to a close up of Malkovich, and you're like, this is, I'm in hell. Yeah. I'm, in a, I'm in a dimension of hell. <sighs> Malkovich, is, is man. It's, 
also this thing, I think they hadn't, like, certain, the technology was not advanced enough to pick up certain types of actors. You know, there were only certain yeah. kinds of performances that even translated onto these models. And someone like Malkovich, who's such an energy actor, like, he's a very subtle application of energy aside right. from when he screams. There's not enough being captured there right. to get anything other than fucking wax figures. Right. You know, that's a good point because, you know, Winston plays, Winstone plays Beowulf one note. He's screaming like a lunatic, you know, he's yeah. a monster. But, uh, you know, Malkovich is giving a genuine performance and so is Anthony Hopkins a little bit. And they come off much worse because. So much worse. There's attempt at nuances, attempt at being an actual human being, and you can't do that. You know, the the what's her name? Um, Frowny McSad, the queen in this. Uh, uh, uh Robin Wright. Yeah, she comes off awful. It's just, right. That's a disaster well, she looks like a painting, like that, like her face just does not move at all, and she's so unappealing. And you're like, Beowulf can have any wench in the mead hall, and he's stuck on her. Leslie Zemeckis, I mean, right there. I mean, I mean, I hate to say it, but she at least the had, boss's wife. She was lively. I mean, it, 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 that shot of her, as you put it, three D pendulous breasts is is meant for humor. It looks weird, but there's more life in that than in in Robin Wright, who's supposed to supposed to be the uh, you know the 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 one you're in love with. I, I think Bobby spent 20% of the budget on the breast shot. <laughs> on the boobs. He just kept on saying, sir, I think we're done with this sequence. Another pass. I have more notes. Yeah. It's, it's, so the, the visual aspect is weird, but then also something that watching it now, you don't know the 3d was so great. So that Incredible. when you saw it in the theaters, I mean, I don't know if it was as good as Avatar, but it was in the same ballpark. And I remember when people going nuts for Avatar, I was like, hey, where were you last summer? Didn't you see uh, Beowulf? And they're like, no, that looked dumb. So I didn't see it. First of all, it's every, every bit as dumb as Avatar. They're equally dumb. This was, this was two years earlier, and it absolutely felt like the dry run for Avatar. And I even feel like the entertainment press was positioning it as like, this is the first glimpse we're going to see of the kind of technology that Cameron's working with. Because right. everyone knew that movie was going to be like advancement in motion capture, advancement in digital 3D. And most of the 3D releases up until this point were uh, like kids' movies kind of post-converted, a lot of like Nightmare Before Christmas being re-released, and, and small limited runs. This was like a thousand screens were being converted to 3D, for this, this is a movie designed for 3D, and I remember convincing a bunch of friends to go see it, only interested where they're like, 3D, what's that even going to look like? It's not red and blue. Like, the novelty of just the technology right. was all it took to convince some friends to drive me to the theater to see it. And then afterwards, I was like, and get this, James Cameron is using all that shit that we just saw to make a movie about an alien war. And we were just like, holy fucking shit. Crashed into a tree. I mean, it was an amazing yeah. time. Yeah. And then there was a little bit, there was a sort of an interzone between this movie and after, I think the My Bloody Valentine remake came out that had like oh, the yeah. good 3D. That has great 3D. There were a few others. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, all, yeah, it's fine. That's the same um, year as Avatar, so, yes. Yeah, so so you know, there's this weird sort of now 3D is kind of over, but for yeah. a few years it was it revolutionized, you know, the people people listening now who are a little younger maybe don't remember. Yeah. There was it was a psychosis, a 3D psychosis at the end of the aughts that really threw that changed theatrical movie going, mostly for the worse because you know you'd go to the local Regal and they'd leave the 3D lens cap 
on the, on the projector and you'd go to see a non 3D movie it would be dark you couldn't see anything i mean it it was a very weird time that's that's pretty much all gone now it's 4DX but, now but, i mean that's just like it's now yeah. only 4D 4DX or bust <laughs> i i've always been a very pro 3D guy i bought the last 3D television ever produced wow. not the last uh, actual unit, but the last yeah, but model. Yeah, the last model, right. The furthest incarnation the technology was ever going to reach in North America, I finally broke down and said, I'll get it. And so, so what's on 3D that you can watch? Like just Blu-rays? Or can you watch like sports? There's a button you can hit. No one's broadcasting on 3D anymore. There used to be some deep cable channels that were 3D, and I don't even have cable, and those channels don't even exist anymore. Uh, there's a button on the TV that says, 3D, which you can use, and it will like auto convert things, like Clash of the Titan style, the worst. That's sort like, of a, like a Nintendo 3DS, right. right? Yes. And do you need to wear glasses for those? Yes. Yeah, so I got the TV that just any sort of like movie theater glasses work. Wow. They're the more high end ones where they're like heavy duty glasses that require batteries, and it's oh a lot more God. complicated. Yeah. I got the one where you can just use like you can steal glasses from the theater. But I've been buying a lot of 3D Blu-rays especially during quarantine as I try to make my home feel more like movie going. Um, and I bought all the Zemeckis movies on 3D so I could watch them this way. Beowulf is the one that was never released on 3D and it's the one that I argue was the Ooh, best. Weird. Like it, it, it yeah. really was a great use of 3D in the theater. I saw this in IMAX 3D. I remember 3D. being fun. Yeah, it fucking, it, it ruled and you can't see it that way anymore. Uh, I blame the death of 3D uh, wholly on uh, the King of Quibi himself, not David Sims, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who once the first wave of movies were successful was like the biggest champion of this is how we fight piracy. Everyone should release their movies in 3D. Um, Every single film should be in 3D. Either you should shoot it or post-convert it regardless of genre. Right. And also at that point in time, the 3D surcharge was like $1 on top of normal tickets. And Katzenberg was like, we could be making so much more, make it four or $5 surcharge. And that's when things started bombing and you had shitty conversions and everyone got burned on it. And people started yeah. like avoiding it at all costs. Actively, right. Because like Beowulf, end of 2007, you look at the other 3D movies in 2007, it's Disney's Meet the Robinsons, which got a very limited release. Everything else is a nature documentary or... Uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix had 20 minutes in 3D only in IMAX. Right. Wow. So yeah. Beowulf is like the first proper one. Yeah. And the following year, you have a lot of like U2 3D, the Hannah Montana 3D movie, which does well. And then Journey to the Center of the Earth, which weirdly overperforms. But that also kind of overperforms because it's like, fuck, this movie's built for 3D. That, that movie's also really good. Never seen it. Well, all right. Really good is overstating. That movie is tolerable. <laughs> But not bad. 2009's the turning point because then you have My Bloody Valentine, Coraline, you have Up, Monsters vs. Aliens, uh, and then like at the end of the, the Final Destination in 3D, you have like all the animated films are coming out in 3D, Michael Jackson's This Is It, Christmas Carol, and then Avatar at the end of the year, and then it's the fucking thing. Then they're off to the races. Yeah. And yeah. yes, but Beowulf, guys. Beowulf. We're going to talk about the movie Beowulf. Not about 3D. Well, we're going to talk about the 3D. Ben, as you were saying, Beowulf the poem, the old English poem. Ugh. That's school. Yeah. Right? Like that, that, that this is this Homework. is a movie. This is a movie that's adapted from school, which I feel like mm -hmm. is 
tricky. Like this is, uh, yes, of course, Beowulf is a famous old English poem of adventure and glory and you have swords and you have dragons and monsters. There's nothing more I want to see converted but an old poem. Like but a it's really <laughs> old poem. That's what I want to see converted it, for the modern audience. It does audience. have this, like where I feel like- you love dusty poems. You're dragging people to the theater, Griffin, your friends, and they're like, Beowulf. You're like, well, it's in 3D. You know, come on. That'll well, be fun. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. There's two, there's two funny things about that. Number one, there's, you know, what like Beowulf, like there's the line in, in Annie Hall. She's like, I want to take uh, classes. What should I take? And he says, well, just don't take anything where they make you read Beowulf. Like Beowulf is the most right. eat your vegetables of anything in history. And um, what's interesting is that some, one of the better aspects of this film is and I'm gonna assign it to Neil Gaiman because it probably is him because he's Mister Mythology and whatnot. Mm-hmm. There, there is some cool stuff in here that feels very teacher friendly, like certainly not the jokes about coming and 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 that, but like there are moments where. Like a teacher could show it, hit pause and say, you see what they just did? They just used, you know, the blah, blah, blah fallacy or whatever kind of poetry crap they teach you in school. There's some of that, you know, and they talk about geography. They talk about um, other myths that are. uh, The psychology uh, of Grendel. We're supposed to kind of feel bad for him. Well, there's that too. A hundred percent that. But also like they talk about Fafnor, which is another. That's the legend from. um the Gatradamarung. So that's like a little, you know, maybe they were going for like some sort of like cinematic universe where they do like school poetry, <laughs> cinematic universe, because that's not in the Beowulf poem, I don't think. Um, but they mentioned that. So that's like, oh, we learned about Gatradamarung last unit. Now he's in this movie. Isn't that cool? That's clearly, at least I think, clearly Gaiman's shtick. And you could see him being like, oh, aren't I clever? You know, putting that in there. And I think that's really cool. So there is a little bit of that school stuff in there. So, you know, there's a little bit of vegetables in this movie, but but it's also just like, I want to whiz the camera around like a lunatic yes. and show violence and, and crazy action. Right. But, so my wife Forky, we know her well. Star of Toy Story 4. Uh, star of Forky asked a question, Emmy winner. I'm trying to think of any other credits for Forky. No. That's it? The pandemic's been hard on the whole industry. That's I mean, true. no one's really booking in the way they were before this. Yeah. Great, a great utensil. Great utensil. Great utensil. Um, Top tier utensil. Is, she's also an English teacher. Humble brag. And she teaches <laughs> Beowulf to her children. That's right. You know what's funny? I've had a conversation with Forky about Gilgamesh, which yep. is the Pepsi to Beowulf's wow. Coke. It is. Gilgamesh <laughs> is the other one where it's like the kids are like, this is boring. And it's like, you don't understand. This is the first fucking story that we ever found written down, you nimwit. Just enjoy it. Nimwit. Also, it's like an it's an action story. It's a genre piece. Right. That but that's the thing about Beowulf. It's kind of like showing someone Casablanca now and they're like, I don't get it. This is cheesy. Like, and you're like, no, 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 no. It's doing it first. Like with Beowulf, they're you're like, Yeah, sure, he's a guy, he fights a monster. Like, there's not a lot here. And it's like, no, 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 no one had ever done this before. Literally. Like, this yeah. is the first one. Um, so I just it's I just think it is a bigger task than one might imagine, right? To adapt essentially the first story about a guy with a sword fighting a monster. Like, it, like it's hard to flesh it out. Also weird for like one of the oldest 
existing English text that there is no definitive Beowulf adaptation. Like, it's weird that in 2007, Zemeckis making a Beowulf movie wasn't treated as, oh, Beowulf again? Yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know, well, it was just treated as like, fine, do that. Okay. Well, and I think it speaks to, to David's point is that when you when you read, not that I have since seventh grade, but when you read Beowulf or read the Wikipedia summary as I did today, they're kind of... It, like there really isn't a story. It's like there's a guy Beowulf. He kills one monster, kills another one, right. fights a third one. Doesn't he make drinks it. mead. Everyone's drinking he mead, drinks though. Mead. That's a big detail. <laughs> so I mean, the thing is, it doesn't really lend itself to adaptations, which is why it took right. It took Roger Avery this brilliant aha moment of kind of faking it a little bit, and then yeah. Gaiman sprinkles his Minotaur pixie dust on top, and you know, and then we get. We get Angelina Jolie in the in the in the in the cave. It also maybe has a bit of a like John Carter, uh, you know, Princess of Mars problem, where it's like it's such a foundational text that like the most popular works in the American canon all sort of use Beowulf as a stepping stone. So then when you go back to yes. Beowulf, you're just like, there's less meat on the bone here because everyone's taking the ball and run with it. Right. So I'm watching it with Forky, and she's has like, she ever seen it before. No, and she's like, well, that's well, that's not in the poem, you know. Like she's noticing the things. She's that are... read it. She she teaches it. Oh, she teaches God. it. You fucking kid. She's read it like one million she times. She asked the question. God. Yes, she asked the question, and and then I'm like, right, but like, and I have read. Be I studied Beowulf in college, like okay. all good English literature students from the UK, what? and like, what? <sighs> <laughs> swear to God, and um. And but that's the thing. It's like the the poem doesn't even really clarify if he kills Grendel's mother. Like it's pretty bare, but there's a yeah. lot of room to play around with. Like it doesn't get into anything except that Beowulf is a hero and he kills the monsters and then he gets old and he kills more monsters. Like that that's really and then and then the monks got their hands on it and they added some stuff about Jesus. That's what Beowulf is. Right. That that was that was Avery's aha moment by all accounts was, oh, they never actually make it clear if he kills Grendelwald's mother, Grent Grendelwald, Jesus Christ. I've been making Grendelwald jokes all Wait, day. Wait, crimes? Crimes? It, the media won't report on this. It's insane. His crimes are numerous. Oh, Grendelwald. Yes, he did. They're right. Finish your point. Finish never your make point. it clear in the original poem whether or not Grendel's mother is actually defeated. And Avery said, oh, there's kind of an interesting, unreliable narrator thing going on here. There's sort of an implication right. that he succeeded, but it's never actually made clear. What reasons would Beowulf have to cover this up? And then he sort of unpacks this line of sexual misdeeds for which society is punished forever. These life-ruining right. trysts. It's a, not exactly a feminist film. No. <laughs> Beowulf is so boring as a written hero that Roger Avery is like, and Gaiman are like, you can't, this guy has to be like hiding shit. Otherwise, like he's just really, really boring. Like we just have to assume that there's, there's more going on here because there they can't be a movie if there isn't. Well, and also the so pride is the curse. That was the, that was the, the, the tagline. The Hopkins character, the King in, in the poem yes, is Rothgar, never yes. under threat from Grendel. Grendel never even tries to attack him. And they were like, there's something weird yes. going on there too. And there was this thought because the text was then sort of finally committed to paper by these monks 
that like perhaps this story was in an oral tradition and then got sanitized. Got futzed with a little bit. Right. right. These men of the cloth took some shit out of it. So this is like. Edited for television. Right. This isn't your Bibles, uh, uh, Beowulf, you know? I keep on wanting to say Grendelwald. Grendelwald, he could show up in here. You know, you, you never know. Is Roger Avery in jail by the time this comes out? When did he go to jail? I think right No, after. 2008. Yeah, right after. Right after. Yeah, wow. he went into the rock going like, hey, man, I made Beowulf. Nothing can touch me. Yeah. He's out now. He made a movie. Lucky Day? If you say so. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. I'm just saying. You know, what's funny is the animation style um, with the actors. You know, we talked about Mr. Zemeckis' wife and... Obviously, Angie and 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 uh, Hopkins, um, Ray Winstone does not look like that. Like no. everybody kind of well, looks. It's interesting. Everybody kind of. <laughs> right. Everyone looks like themselves. Yeah. Uh, right. Brendan Gleeson looks like himself. Malkovich yep. looks like himself. Um, uh, Ray Winstone is a is a is a man who who uh, you know who who likes his Weetabix or whatever it was from earlier. He's a he's a hefty <laughs> gentleman. But they make this look um, like he's, you know, totally cut. And what what's funny is that the other big thing that was happening in 2007, and it, it's a very important movie in comparison to Beowulf, and it's a lesser film, is a masterpiece by a film director named Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. It's a movie called 300. And 300 is a complicated film that opens a door to a big discussion. I don't know how much of that we want to get into, but I think we got it. It's not a masterpiece, but I know you're. I, I knew. I know this is your. I opinion. really think that 300 is an important film. It turns the page on a lot of things. That's different. Yeah. See, I <laughs> I don't different. like it, and I would not even begin to argue anything other than it being one of the most important films of that decade. Okay, fair enough. It's very, it's very, very important because it has all the things, the visual things that it has. And this movie has its own visual shtick it's doing, which is much, much worse. But more weird and fun things happen in Beowulf Harder than in 300. Definitely. 300 is really boring. And that, like that, I remember that being my biggest beef with it. Yeah. Just like it was weirdly dull for a movie about constant war and violence and kicking people into big uh-huh. holes and all that, you know? I, I, I mean, okay, I'm not going to argue that, but I, I disagree. But I, I, I definitely think that you could say that it's, uh, you know, it affected film grammar and the technology and the look and all that stuff. But sure, and there sure. are connections. This is So, you know, 300 had the line, this is Sparta, right? There were T-shirts with that. And clearly... Well, I don't think this movie. This was a uh, this was a Newton Leibniz thing because they were they came yeah. out the same year. So, Beowulf did not copy off of three hundred, but the marketing of Beowulf wanted to make the line "I am Beowulf." That autumn, uh, uh, Beowulf right, three hundred came out in March, and the kids were running around uh, saying, right. "This is this is Sparta." That the kids yeah. were saying it. I saw them, and then. <laughs> I did. Do you want to know how I saw them? Yeah. I w- in March of 2007, my job was as and this I thought that was going to be a rhetorical No, no, no. Yeah, Go ahead. This, yes, this yes, leads yes. this leads to uh this leads to my big story later. But in March of 2007, I worked as a licensed New York City tour guide. That was how I made wages. And that was what I did uh and I liked the job. There was no money in it, so I eventually quit. But I took school kids around and I did the double decker buses and I yapped about historical spots in New York City and um I took a bunch of Canadian school kids to 
friggin' Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island, right? On the boat. You know, you do the circuit. And uh, they went to the statue. They went up, upstairs. They look around. And then we got to wait for the next ferry. And we're killing time. And these were like 13, 14-year-old kids. Um, and it was it was March. There was like dead branches on the ground. So a bunch of the kids are taking the dead branches. And they're hitting each other as they do. Nice. And they're screaming, this is Sparta. And I'm like, what? Okay, little little Tommy, little little. Uh, well, they were they were Canadian, so little uh, little Jacques, you know, little uh, little Francois. Why why are you shouting about Sparta? What what are you talking about? And they're like, you haven't seen three hundred yet. And I'm like, no, I haven't seen it. What is it? And they go, it's it's the best movie I've ever seen. And the whole school agreed. The kids were loving it, and they were telling me about Sparta, and it worked, and it was a huge hit. Changed changed popular culture so clearly they wanted to tap into that with beowulf because it's similar shtick swords and magic and all that crap so and and 300 absolutely stole this movie's thunder like i feel like there was a lot of buzz around this movie if not excitement people were curious about it when it was announced and then 300 was such a revolution that this movie couldn't look like anything other than like you know leftovers and 300 weirdly went into it with like the bolder visual style, the visual style that on paper seemed riskier versus this. And everyone loved what 300 was doing. I say everyone, but like the public loved it. And this, everyone was like, it looks creepy. Yeah, exactly. It looks, that's that's what it is. The the uncanny valley. But you know, it's just so funny. So yeah. How many times does Ray Winstone declare himself to be Beowulf in this? At least five times. (laughs) A half dozen. Yeah. Easy. But I need to get back to the point you made of he doesn't look like Ray Winstone. No. Now, Ray Winstone claims that he kind of looked like this when he was younger. I've seen, like, Scum. I've seen, like, the movies Ray Winstone was in when he was young. He didn't look like this. Wait, he was in a movie called Scum? Ben. Mm, Ben. Ben. You would legit love this movie. Do you know what Scum is about? No, it sounds good. Scum is about a boy, uh, like a, you know, he's a young man, played by Ray Winstone, who goes to a Borstal, which is like an old, like, fashioned British prison for youths. Like, they're they're really tough places where, you know, bad kids would go. I thought you said fashion prison, and I was like going off on whole thing about what that would be, but old fashioned. No, you, okay, continue. You still have that premise. That's You can put that in your back pocket, Ben. Yeah, I, I actually <laughs> and, will. And it's about him, you know, he, he meets like Banks, you know, who's like the current daddy of the, of the prison. You know, like he's the boy who's kind of in charge sure. of shit. And, he, and it's about Ray Winstone becoming the daddy. Oh shit, that sounds fucking good. There's like a big fight with like a lead pipe. Like it is the most when you're a kid in Britain, everyone sees that movie because it's like you know it's about. Being you had a hard me man. a lead pipe. I'm checking it out. Oi, I got me lead pipe. <laughs> right, and he didn't look like he what what he looks like. It's inescapable in this movie is Sean Bean. Right, yeah. he kind of looks to the extent that I had to say to Forky like it's not Sean Bean. Like it, it's actually Ray Winstone. Like, but do you think they? There's no way, because like okay. Zemeckis cast Ray Winstone. He never, there's no... Okay. I have a little answer for you. Go ahead. So much like uh, how on Polar Express, there are like four people credited for each part because like 
if Hanks is playing one character, then he needs someone else to fill in for that. They had children playing the child parts to get the physical dimensions right, but then also adults playing the child parts, like all these things. There's a lot of doubling on this movie. And so Ray Winstone did do the entire movie. And Zemeckis did say, my intent is to age you down. I want your gravitas, but I want him to look like you at a younger age ripped beyond you at the point you ever were right but they also got this guy alan richson who alan richson is this guy who was like on the superhero runway for the last 15 years he played one of the ninja turtles which is why i know him because i screen tested alongside him you mean he played one of the in the in the new the michael bay right he was one of the mocap ninja turtles in the michael bay ninja turtles i think he was Raphael. Um, he also was like Aquaman on Smallville, and then now he's on Titans, the DC Universe show. Sure. He's one of these guys who just looks like a fucking corn-fed, all-American football player, and he keeps on getting into these like almost superhero roles. And he hired Richson to be like physical model and to also be like a motion capture uh. reference for someone's body moving with the right dimensions. Uh, I, I'm I'm seeing him and he right. he kind of looks so, like a very cheap version of... Yeah, he looks like Beowulf. It's a, it's a mashup. Right. So I think he took some elements of young Winstone, mapped them onto young uh, Richson, used more of Richson in the action scenes, more of Winstone in the acting the scenes. The oratory. Right. Right. I mean, Ray, Ray Winstone is a great actor. I love... Ray Winston, to be clear. He's the best. He this is a great time for him where he's suddenly popping up in like The Departed and he's not really changing his accent and you don't really care like even though he's playing a Boston, you know, gangster called Mr. French. Let's go get some Duncan. <laughs> like he's such a delight. He's uh, what? He's in Crystal Skull, right? What yep. that that's a year from now, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, another one where he's like yeah, it's me, your friend Mac, right? You know, like, it's just it, bananas. It, I feel like he has now dipped. I, he was in Cats, though. I will say he was in Cat. That was, I haven't seen a lot of Ray Winston recently, but he did pop up in Cats. But this was, yes, this was the couple yeah, of years. kind of good in Cats, right? I think he rules in Cats. This was the couple of year run. It tends to happen for, like, uh, a UK character British actors, character actors. Right. right. Where they, yeah, at yeah. some point, you hit a couple of years where it's just like, you're going to be one of the go-tos. You're going to have four years of paychecks you won't believe. And then, like, you'll return to normal and you'll go back to having the kind it's of It's like M- Mark Strong. Mark Strong right. had that run. He was in everything, and now he's not. Right. Like, Sexy Beast was kind of, like, reactivated Ray Winstone in his 40s. And then for five years, Hollywood just was paying him, like, a million dollars, you have to imagine, yes, for all these movies. exactly. Yeah. So good for him. I'm glad he did it. Sean Bean kind of should play Beowulf. Sean Bean has a northern accent. He has a Yorkshire accent. And like Beowulf is a, you know, he's not. Ray Winston has a Cockney accent. He sounds like he's from London. Like he is from London. Like Beowulf in this movie sounds like like a working class Londoner. And he's supposed to be from the land of the Geats. He's supposed to be this like freaking, you know, Viking warrior dude. And it's weird. Don't you think that's part of the interpretation and especially Zemeckis trying to move it away from feeling like homework is like, we're going to give Beowulf this like football hooligan energy. Like he's like a fucking rowdy bar dude. He's a pub brawler. He had recently played Henry King Henry VIII in like a British TV series. 
And I remember that. And at the time, it was seen as like, oh, this is weird because like Ray Winstone's not posh, you know? And he played it very Ray Winstone. And apparently Zemeckis had seen that and liked that. So that was also, so you're right. Yeah, he's probably like, right, he'll give me, he'll, he'll, he'll bring some gritty street realism to this fucking poem Because I movie. think both this and 300 had the similar goal of like, okay, Gladiator was like seven years ago now. It failed to bring on the new wave of sword and sandal epics that people thought would come. Everyone else who tried to do it afterwards, it didn't click, including the times that Ridley tried to return to the well, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you do have Lord of the Rings, which this is also sure, drafting sure. off of. But that's, that's, I think, part of their, like, their decision is like, okay, so Lord of the Rings was like fantasy, and then that spawns the sort of like children's book adaptation thing. You have your Aragons and your Narnias. It kind of gets lumped in more yes, with the yes. Potter thing. Whereas Gladiator's like, that's like old-fashioned adult sword and sandals. Then the follow-ups don't hit. And then I feel like this and 300 in the same year are like, we want to make these fucking movies feel edgy and urgent again. You know, it's like this real appeal to like, how do you make these things feel fucking hardcore? I know how you do it. You open the movie with two guys taking a whiz, but with their skirts in their mouths because they got to hold them in their teeth. So they don't get their skirts wet while they whiz on the side of the mead hall. That's like in the opening montage. It, it's a wild movie. I mean, it just feels like, yeah, he just wants shit to be happening at all times on screen. I was so certain in my memory that this movie was R-rated. And I watched on iTunes, I bought the unrated cut, which is like five minutes longer, makes zero changes to story, no added scenes. It's just like five minutes worth of shots that were either, you have to imagine, cut out at the last second or blood that was removed. And it's just like more sexual shit. Right. Yeah, and more blood. That sounds good, actually. Honestly, that sounds great. That sounds fun and super metal. Yeah, it fits in the metal tone. <laughs> but it also, I, I think that was another goal of this movie is like, Zemeckis at this point was all in on mocap. Like he was saying, I'm going to only make mocap movies for the rest of my life. This is the future. This is the technology. I'm A, fully committed to being the guy who like makes this shit break through, uses my clout to advance the technology so that other filmmakers can use it, let me go through all the weird growing pains. And B, he was like, you can do anything in this technology. Have you, have you ever seen behind-the-scenes footage of yes. Beowulf? Because yes. it's, it's um, you know, they call it the, vo the volume, right? They call it the volume. It's mm -hmm. like a gymnasium. And there's footage of Crispin Glover as Grendel barging into shit. And they just have, like, big foam blocks. They're just like, go, all right, and action, just destroy these foam blocks. And Crispin Glover, who is incredibly committed to this performance yes, in, a, in, a, in a remarkable way, and I say this with no sarcasm, he's really, really good doing whatever the hell it is that he's doing in this. I yeah. agree with that. And the foot the behind the scene footage of him on having an emotional rampage with these foam blocks is heartbreaking. If anybody out there has the Beowulf DVD, go to those you behind can, the scenes. You can watch the whole thing picture in picture on the Blu-ray. They have an oh, option really? where you can watch the whole movie. Wow. I only found this out afterwards. I'm going to fucking buy the Blu-ray now. Nuts. It costs like $6. But you can watch the whole movie picture in picture, and the one exception is the Joe Lee scenes because she blocked that footage. Sure. Good for her. Well, because she was like yeah. mad at this movie, it felt like. But like... 
all the actors, and Tom Hanks sort of says this too about Polar Express. They like, you know, compare it to like theater in the round or like Brecht or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, because they're like, unlike a movie where you shoot a quarter of a page a fucking day or whatever, you just kind of do it in a week. Like, right? You do it really, really fast because they could just do everything else around you. And you're in this empty space. And you don't have to keep stopping and starting. Right. You don't You don't have to fucking, like, find your light or, like, play to the lens. Like, a big, a big breakthrough with this technology is that, like, you just capture the performance and then Zemeckis can pick the camera angles later. So you're just focusing on the acting and then he deals with all the other shit. So all these actors sign up because they're like, this sounds weird and freeing. Yeah, I mean, it's great until you look at the final product and they all look terrible. I mean, that's the right. only negative is that it's a, it's bad film. I mean, who is to say, right? I mean, and listen, in X amount of years, there's going to be a nostalgia factor for this look, too. I mean, we, you know, you, it's like us watching a B-movie from the 50s where you can see the strings on, 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 on Gamera and it's cute, you know? So people are going to look at... John Malkovich's dead eyes and and chuckle over it. You know, right now we're still close enough to it where it makes us gross. Book reports from years to come. This is going to be it. <laughs> this is going to be the text, oh. honestly, truly. So the book reports will be like, it's so great how Beowulf fights Grendel naked. And the teacher's going to be like, ah, oh, he watched the <laughs> fucking movies. Like, <laughs> I, I just find it so funny that like most times that a classic is adapted into a Hollywood film, they just cut a bunch of the weird shit out. And so like, you're, the the mistake a kid like me who watched the movie and didn't read the book would make in my report is like you leave out large swaths of scenes right, that were yeah. cut out of the film or you you saw the one with the happy ending. And this is like, no, they put in all this weird shit. Uh, but I feel like this was a big like I don't want to get into this too much, but Steve Bing, who is this very, very weird uh, we, we, millionaire, we can't get into who, Steve like, Bing. That's a it's a whole episode. It's so fucking I'm, insane. I'm, I, I'll let people go down their fucking rabbit hole, say, but just to say very okay. quickly, right. he inherited six hundred million dollars from his grandfather, who was like a real estate mogul, and then was like, "I'm gonna be like the fucking Howard Hughes of the film industry," and he started this company, Shangri La Films. And his first big, big investment was he put up $90 million of Polar Express's budget. No one wanted to make Polar Express. No one wanted to give him the money he wanted. So Bing independently put up more than half of the budget. And people were like, you're insane. You're going to lose your entire fortune. And then Polar Express was so huge. So he felt vindicated. And he kind of never had a hit movie ever again. But he immediately afterwards was like, Bobby, let's do it again. Let's fucking do it. Let's do another one. What scripts do you want to do? And Zemeckis was like, there was this Beowulf script from years ago that I was going to produce. He's like, sounds good. I'll buy it. $2 million. <laughs> like paid Avery and Gaiman $2 million after they had already been paid previously and had their rights lapsed. But I think a big part of it was, and, and it was independently financed and then they sold it to Paramount. Uh, Columbia thought they had this movie on a handshake deal for years and then he was like never mind Paramount offered more money but this is pretty much Bing bankrolled and I think the big thing was Zemeckis was like I want to prove because I'm so committed to making mocap movies forever that these aren't animated films and they're not for kids like I want to do the one that's an action film that's intense that's bloody and sexual because I want to move this shit out of the cartoon ghetto and uh, it's interesting that even though this movie was kind of a flop it was like I feel the most successful 
attempt at adult animation, like pure adult in, animation. In America with this kind of budget, for sure. Yeah. 100%. And no one tried it ever again. Like, it's it's an absolute yeah. dead end. It, it's as dead as, as Malkovich's eyes in this film. Yeah. It's yeah. a fascinating film. It's a one, it's a sui generis thing. There's nothing else quite like Zemeckis' Beowulf. And, you know, and, and a lot of it is... After is, this, he goes back to Christmas. He's just like, yeah. fuck it, I'll do Scrooge. It's 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 a weird cul-de-sac. And um, another aspect that I think I, I just alluded to it a moment ago, one of the things I really, really am moved by emotionally is Crispin Glover's performance as the world's most upset neighbor at the rowdy party next door, <laughs> uh, Grendel, who uh, can't handle it that there's fun at the at the beer hall at the mead hall and he wasn't invited and um murmuring in old english and his mother has a russian accent for some reason <laughs> and uh he's so upsetting so in this film he's he's really i don't know how would you describe his performance is it sadness is it is it uh, what, what's what is he doing he's i mean he's got a cunanan kind of vibe to it <laughs> It's sort of four channy, eight chan yeah, adjacent. Yeah, edge lord um, kind of vibe. But I also think it's telling that it's like his performance holds up the best, no question. Yes. Yeah. And his character overall holds up the best because it's the one that is like leaning into abstraction. Yeah, he's not looks trying like a to represent yeah. the real world because that's the other totally like quixotic aspect of this mocap era for Zemeckis is his like sort of like slavish devotion to, I want them to look like the movie stars you know. Like there's something about like the corner turned where you're like, Josh Brolin is Thanos and everyone just knows it's Brolin and we maybe try to make his eyes look a little bit like Josh Brolin, but you let him look like some other fucking but, thing. Right, but it's not too difficult. Right. right, yeah. I mean, look, I think it's partly just getting the tech there too. Like it's not just that I want Tom Hanks to look like yeah. Tom Hanks. I want to see if we can make it look like Tom Hanks, right? Like there's a challenge in it too. Totally. So much of this is R&D, but there's that uncanny valley that's harder to cross when you're like, I know what fucking Malkovich looks like. Right. Whereas with Grendel, you can spend more time thinking about what Glover is contributing. And in a weird way, you see his performance more clearly because you're not hung up on like, that's not quite what his cheekbones look like. Similarly, I think Winstone holds up the second best because it's also like its own weird model. It's it's not, it's its own visual creation. Right, right. It's a good point. Yeah, the monsters and, and Winstone, because he's not a he's not a real human. He's a fake human and you know, a, a composite character. They're they're louder bombastic performances built on actual just cartoon models that people can puppeteer and it makes you wonder if this movie would age better if they were just like let's stylize it more and not worry about looking like the people yeah um, like the close-ups on grendel work and they're the only close-ups on, on a face that work in this film so uh, i'll tell you a quick story about uh crispin glover in this movie um now i mentioned earlier that when 300 came out in march of 2007 i was working as a new york city tour guide and then that I left that job. And um, by the time this movie came out, I had a new position. I was working in a very in a very weird roundabout way. I ended up working 
at a website that doesn't exist anymore called UGO.com. UGO. I remember. And UGO was the Pepsi to IGN's Coke, right? They were, uh, they were around for a long time, and they were competitors. That's the second time I've used that analogy tonight. I use that one a lot. You got to go so, for five. <laughs> five. Five more times? I try to use it. Okay, I'll try to okay. So Five in total. Yeah, yeah. Or five alive. Is, it, is like the five alive to Minute Maid. I could do that. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Keep going. Keep Juice. going, Jordan. Keep going. All right, so... Uh, yeah, yeah. So dig this, dig this, dig this. I'm at this new job and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And I just started and uh, they're promoting Beowulf. Right. And um, I had done a few interviews with celebrities before um, like, uh, for this job, but nobody too big. You know, I, literally one of them was Pee Wee Herman. Um, so Paul Rubens. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. Great guy. Um, now I do interviews three times a week but back then i didn't know what the hell i was doing so i get a phone i'm doing a phone call interview with crispin glover right and um i'm trying to you know he's crispin glover you know you know he's a little weird right you know he's had he's had some issues over his career his life he flipped out on the letterman show he's been known to kick himself in the head during (laughs) interviews i mean you're in a dangerous position i've been i've been nervous having the conversation with him so like you know he gets on the phone hello i don't i can't do his voice he's like hello i'm crispin glover i'm like hey man how you doing um yeah, just want to say I'm a big fan of your work, blah, blah, blah. I try to butter him up a little bit. I'm like, um, now you know that Crispin Glover has directed a handful of films. I don't know if I've you... I've seen at least one of them. Okay. So one of them, the and I forget the name right now. Um Is this it? Is, is this that it? the one? That's the biggie. Is this it? And then there's another right, one. That's called, the one I've seen. There's one called It's Fine, Everyone is Fine, or something like right. that. Right. I maybe have seen both. So I said to him once, Oh, you know, I'm a fan of your work, and I, I've uh I've, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've seen your films and he's like, oh yeah, w- where did you see it? I'm like, oh, you know, I, I live here in New York. And he goes, yeah, which, which theater did you see it at? So here's the deal. Um, <laughs> when these movies came out, um, I knew, uh, you know, over the course of my life, I've known some people in the film industry and, you know, like, like, like I know you, uh, uh, everybody listening. So, uh, as it happens, I had a guy. I knew a guy. I haven't talked to him in years. He got everything. He got Phantom Menace on a tape three days after it came out. You know, and I don't mean like like uh, Kramer style, somewhere the camera. Yeah, he somehow had it. And I didn't want to watch it because I hadn't seen Phantom Menace yet. I'm like, no, I'm going in the kitchen. I don't want to see this. So this dude, Mystery Man X, had this screwy Crispin Glover movie, and we watched it. You know, we had a few glasses of mead, so I was a little, you know, a little heavy, but we we watched it. And the thing is, when Glover shows these films, you know, he does like a live performance. He travels with the films. He does slideshow projection. He's there's a live there's like two feature films. It, it's it's uh, what, what is it? And this is fine. Everything is fine. Is it yeah. fine? Everything is fine. And he's got like one print of each film and he brings them city to city and hosts them and reads poetry. It's it's very much a one man show. Yeah. Yes. Now I didn't see that. So I saw a tape. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, you know, I, I saw I'm like an idiot, like a freaking idiot. This was 13 years ago, so I absolved <laughs> myself. And I was new at the job that I had no business being at. Now I'm a professional. Again, I write for very esteemed publications. At the time, <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So I'm like, oh, I, I saw it at a friend's house. He goes, what? It's Crispin Glover. Grendel in this film. He's so good. He's so good as Grendel. I said, oh, I saw it on my buddy. Uh, you know, he had a tape. What, you, what is this person's name? 
I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, it's just some guy that I know. Uh, so let's talk about the film. He's like, I need to know this name because I am in conversation with the FBI. <laughs> and the FBI and I speak, and we need to stop these tapes circulating. So this guy's in the industry. I mean, he's not like a big producer, but he made he he was involved in, in the production of some very yeah, high he level. He directed uh, the motion picture Avatar. Look, you know, we, yeah, we, yeah. we can't he's, say his yeah. name, but no, no. you know, he was like, he's nobody anybody's heard of. But he's made some stuff, mostly TV commercials. But like with hot, what he did was right, he did right, TV right. commercials with big directors. He directed. A, he produced a bunch of. <laughs> TV commercials that never went Jordan, stop air. leaving so, breadcrumbs. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Bleep I'm that saying, out. Bleep that out. I'm like, all right, you know, has, I'm like, I can't remember his name. I was at a party, you know, and it was on. And he will not let it go. He will not let it go. I'm like, all right, I, I really want to talk about your performance. In, and I'm sweating now. I'm flop sweating. I'm like, I'm like a mess because I'm new at this job. I'm like, I really want to talk about your performance in, as Grendel. It's so vivid. It's so, uh, he's like, no, we must talk about this. I, I, I need to know this name. Will you email me this name? I have to know right now. And he starts screaming at me. Like, it's not fun. He's fucking livid. <laughs> and uh, I just say, you know, I really don't remember his name. It was a friend of a friend. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. You know, I recognize now that this this is, a you know, taking money out of your pocket. Because well, so- he, he never released these movies on home video. They've never been available on streaming. The only way to see them is the screenings that he himself organizes and is in person for. So when he asked you what theater did you see it at, he probably could have asked which showtime as a follow-up. Right, right, and he right. would have remembered vividly. Right. Like these right. films... He he makes Hollywood films in order to finance these movies. It took yeah. a decade for each one, and he's like slowly making back millions of dollars. Yeah. one the four walled screening at so a time. So I feel bad. So he thinks that I'm looking at a cam, but I don't know what the hell. I don't remember. Like I said, I was drinking a lot of mead that night. Who remembers? <laughs> All I know is that the interview does not go well. Okay, Doesn't it sound does like not. It, went well. it does not go well. We didn't run anything, and I had to go and tell my new boss what just happened. So I'm like, we got to go into a room. I'm like, you know how I told you that on Friday we were gonna we were gonna publish an interview with Crispin Glover. Well, it's not happening. Why? Because he just screamed at me about this thing. It became an FBI investigation. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, my boss thought it was hilarious. Right. And we we considered running the freak out. And then we're like, you know what? That's a little much. Let's not run the freak out. Let's just pretend it never happened. Right. So um that's my one encounter with Crispin Glover, who is certainly wow. very dedicated to his craft. He grendled. He went to Grendel. Grendel. Yeah. I was Hrothgar. I was a quivering Hrothgar, and I needed a Beowulf to come in and save me. Uh I I had several different people feed me similar scoops in anticipation of this episode. Uh, once our Back to the Future episodes had come out, and we obviously spent uh, arguably too much time talking about the the Glover Zemeckis Gale divide, um, because it was kind of a big story that oh, Glover yeah. was going to be in this movie, right. especially after he had been involved in this big lawsuit with Zemeckis and Gale. And the thing I heard mirrored by many people is that uh, the the root of the sort of uh, Glover fallout from Back to the Future is just that uh, Robert Zemeckis is uh, obviously a perfectionist and a very controlling, detail-obsessed filmmaker, and Crispin Glover uh, is on his own wavelength and never wants to do the same thing twice. So with these very complicated Zemeckis shot setups, uh, he could never get 
continuity right. And it drove him crazy, and he didn't want to deal with him, so he would send Gale to be the bad cop, which means that Glover always resented Gale more than Zemeckis. So it was when they got to this movie, and Zemeckis went like, well, we're still kind of on good terms, all considering. And also, if it's in motion capture, none of my problems with Glover apply anymore. Right. Right. I can use whatever I want. Right. I just need him acting. Put up a bunch of foam things. There don't even need to be other actors on set. Like, this guy, you could just wind him up, and he'll start crying and (laughs) knocking down walls. And we'll just have the raw data, and I can make my shot choices later. And the performance is kind of a revelation in that way. Like, you're just like, man, this is just raw feed Glover. And, like, you know, the last time you feel like you really got a showcase like this, so just go for it. Yeah. I would imagine, what do you, when, when, when Zemeckis had the idea to bring Glover back, there had to have been someone in his circle being like, are you nuts? Like how, after all the trouble this guy's brought you and just the state of him in general, like somebody would have had to said, do you really want to do I think that? So. Because, but, but like when I went to that screening of his two movies with poetry in between, and he talked about that, like he thinks the film industry is morally bankrupt, but he has to make studio films in order to slowly amount the uh, uh, budget for his next movie. Like, that's his whole process. So, A, I think you offer him enough money, he'll do almost anything because he's like, this is money laundering for me to make my real art. And secondly, I think Zemeckis was able to say to them, like, no other actors on set. We can get all of his shit done in a day. Like, it's so low risk to us. Right, right. But also, like, somebody would have said, like, could other people have done this role i mean sure but he's really good right i mean he's really good he's the right choice right like inarguably i it's cool it's i also it just kind of warms my heart that zemeckis the you know cgi techno nerd finds a way to kind of offer an olive branch to uh, Crispin Glover through this ridiculous technology. You know what I mean? He's like, I found a way for us to to work together that where we're not going to get on each other's nerves. And you'll make a it's very good performance. And yeah, exactly. And also, like, I recognize your skill. Like, we had our fucking problems, yes. but no one can yes. deny he's great in Back to the Future. And he is, like, the best choice for this. And He's very compelling. He's very compelling and all that vulnerability. I mean, I don't think any other actor would have brought this level of no. empathy to the character. No, it would have been just another CGI monster. Like, it would have been nothing. Yes, this is, I would say, I I enjoy the movie Beowulf. I enjoy all of its nonsense. But I would say the first chunk, the Grendel chunk, is the best chunk. Yes. Would you agree? Like, hardcore. It does have the most mead chugging and horny Hrothgar. I get, you kind of have to get past that. But just like, Grendel is just, frightening and uh un- like you know unpredictable in a way that the 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 dragon isn't later right you know like the, the jolie scene is much hyped but it's very short like it's actually the, not you know the, this is the problem this is a big problem with the movie is that it is lopsided the coolest stuff happens in the first 20 minutes and then you know yeah. the big ending is cool but the big ending is not as good as the beginning and also there's this really fascinating sort of like study and contrast where the movie is so maximalist from the beginning, right? It starts with Alan Silvestri just fucking shredding, right? He's shredding. And all 
all these logos like fucking slamming you in the face and fire. And then you go to the mead hall and it's just like cacophony of noise, of dancing, of violence, of leering. Like a lot of the shit. They wake up Grendel. They hurt his right. little ears. <laughs> right. But but they give you like eight straight minutes of just debauchery, of just fucking like, you know, animal house shit. It's like Emir Costa Rica's 3D uh, computer generated film. You know, it's like underground but in Thanes and Danes, it's great. I think the majority of the added footage for the unrated cut is just in this opening. <laughs> like they add in like a lot more groping and shit. Um, but it's just so loud. It's so noisy. He's doing all these wild camera moves. You also can tell he's getting off on like, oh, I don't have to actually light this thing. I can make it be lit by candlelight without having to do like these insane Barry Lyndon sort of like jumping jacks and and backflips to figure out how to make this work with new lenses. You can just make something look really dank and murky and it's fine. It's animation. You're in control of it. And he's got the camera up in the rafters. He also doesn't really bother to like give you much uh, geography of the mead hall. It's just a big rectangle and in the back there's bedrooms, but like you don't really know where. Well, this yeah. is the other really fascinating thing about the opening of the movie is for how much it's like bombarding you with shit. It's also kind of a chamber piece. Like the first half of the movie mostly takes place in the mead hall. Yeah. You very yes. rarely leave the mead hall. And there's something kind of nice of like, oh, in a way this could be a play. The action is so largely centered. Yeah. They're so, almost so just much two of the poem. sets. Right. Yes. Yeah. And the poem is really like that, too. It's a lot of like, right. let's explain how this works. Everyone comes to the mead hall. We all drink. We all sing songs. This is who this is. This is, who, you know, it's a lot of that. It's just a lot of like, when the world is so dark and cold and there's fucking nothing out there, right? Yeah. Like, you know, what are you going to live on some snowy mountain? starving to death no everyone's just be together in one big room eating meat like here's the here's the, okay here's the question i had what job do you want in this time this is oh. we forky and i were discussing this because you don't want to be fucking fighting because then you're gonna die you don't want to row a boat that's hard right like what's a job where you can kind of keep to yourself stick to the meat hall oh i know the answer okay the answer is you want to be somehow involved in mead production. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody will love you. Yeah, you want to be the mead man. You wanna you wanna meadsmith. Uh either either the 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 making of it or the bottling of it or the delivery. This was our yes, it's like you need to have a skill that is not easily like so like blacksmiths, like you know, but blacksmith that's a lot of work. Metal music. Like I would be in a metal band. That would that's what I would do. You'd be like a chain singer, right? Yeah, Yeah. Had had uh, a court jester's gone out of fashion at this point in time? Would there be an angle for me to work no, there? there? There is, but here's my only concern about being an entertainer, right? Being a singer yeah. or a fool or whatever. You're really at the whim of a drunk Absolutely. guy. Like he yes, might yes. be, you know, you just one one false move and he's like, "Fucking kill that guy." I'm sick of him. Right. You're never. You don't get to bomb twice. You got one bad show in you. <laughs> like tough crowd. Yeah, tough crowd. That's why I was like, yeah. If you're a blacksmith, it's like you know, there's not like there. The world is not lousy with blacksmiths. I would assume, right? Something and also, anyway. also, you're just doing the same, like the same crowd. You're performing for the same crowd over and over again. You just got to constantly be generating new material. 
uh, tough. You know, tough. With no opener. Like you got to warm the crowd up yourself, <laughs> then get to your A level shit. Right, and then they could be like, "You were better last week with the same song." Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. All right, so so the the plot of Beowulf, which we've been sort of going through, it was Grendel yeah. attacks, and he doesn't attack Hrothgar. Can I say my favorite moment in the entire movie? What I think is the high point of the entire film. Yes. So like cacophony, debauchery, tits, blood, right? <laughs> then you're you're up in the rafters and the cross beams. You land on what is it, that bird that takes the rat? You have the rat stealing the meat, and then there's sort of the bird that grabs the rat, and then you follow the bird out of the mead hall. And the further you get as you like fly, you're like tracking backwards in the sky it's with the, the contact bird. shot it's the same shot it's as the contact. contact shot yeah it's the contact shot which like most zemeckis movies start with the really long tracking shot where he sets up like the environment and gives you the story details contact does that with zooming out and, and letting you know this film takes place in the universe <laughs> this movie starts in the tight place lots of fast cuts all this sort of shit and then this is like the big sort of like establishing shot where you just go further and further back and you get further away from the noise until all that cacophony is just so distant. But also, as you said, David, you're underlying the fact where it's like, this is just this one fucking castle in the middle of snowy nowhere. Like this has felt so exciting and vital. And now you're just like, man, this world sucks. There's like nothing here. And you keep on pulling further and further and further back until it's like silent, like pin drops silent and he's if you feel like it's eerie like why has he deflated the balloon this much and then you finally land back in the cave with grendel who is just screaming in agony because the noise is too loud for him and that's (laughs) like the whole movie just perfectly encapsulated like everything he wants to do here told entirely visually and it sets up like we get it. We get it. Like, here's Grendel's a sympathetic character. As you said, he's the neighbor who, like, these fucking kids won't stop partying. <laughs> it's such an amazing reframing of him. Right. But, I mean, he he's very, you can, he's very mutable. Like, you could do so much with Grendel, even in the poem, right? Like, yeah, he's the outcast. He's, like, our sins. I mean, like, uh, the Christian retelling, right? He's kind of, like, you know, he's the, he's rejected God or whatever. You know, like, that's why Grendel rules and Grendel's mother. I mean... Grendel's mother is is it's just a great concept for a monster. Like that's why it's always such a bummer. I always forget the Beowulf ends with a dragon. I have no beef with dragons, to be clear. Oh, but no. dragons are fine. Dragons fucking rule, David. How dare you? <laughs> All right, fine. Maybe I should be more pro dragon. It's just like I've seen a dragon. I've never yeah. seen a Grendel. Have you seen a dragon, really? Though. <laughs> yeah, but he told us he grew up in England. Yeah, right. They're lousy. There be dragons. It's a kingdom uh, over there. Yes. Um, so Grendel comes, he smashes. There's the blue flame. That's very cool. He like comes in and out of the blue flame. Yeah. And the way he triangulates the ripping of his arm off by using the poles and the chain and the wheel, it's very, very very athletic. This you movie know? is so violent. <laughs> very violent. And there's so much nudity. His wang, you never yes. see his wang, but it's blocked well, in the Austin Powers right. fight. Yes. He does a full Austin Powers. Right. Fight. So right. So Beowulf shows up. He tells you who he is. He talks about how he beat a guy in a big race, all that stuff. But right. He he's like, I'll take down your guy and I'll do it naked because that's a fair fight, I yeah, guess. It's like a gentleman's that, concept. We're even. Yeah. Can we talk about the race, though? Because, uh, and I don't know if it's in the poem, 
Uh, he loses the race. The race is in the poem, He loses yes. the race because he gets the hots for a mermaid. And right. this is a recurring theme in this very not woke movie. Like he's horny. Ho- like women will ruin you in this movie. His, like, his wi- dick keeps getting him yes. into trouble. He should never trust a dame. His dick gets ev- all dicks get into trouble. All dogs yes. go to heaven and all dicks get in trouble. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, this movie is just like he's like very anti-woman i think there's no there's no twist at the end where the woman helps save the day i mean you have four female characters one of them is defined by her giant pendulous breasts (laughs) i mean beowulf the poem is not giving you a ton to work no but i'm just saying to to be a little i mean if i may and i'm sure we all agree because we're all very progressive men on this show i think that if you're gonna make adjustments to the script as they did make tremendous adjustments, somebody at some point should have said, "Hey guys, there's no, all women do here are either <sighs> evil witches or they're there to screw." There's the wife. This is true. There's the there's the the mistress, and the wife and the mistress are cool with each other. Allison Loman. Allison right. Loman. That's the failing of of the movie from that angle. There could have been a twist, at, at least a little something, a little a little a little nod at the end. Where Robin Wright or Allison Lohman could have at least thrown a rock at the at the at the friggin' dragon to help out instead of just cowering and then being saved. And then the last line is attend the bride, attend the queen. It's it's not uh all the having sex with the witch stuff no. is not good either. Well, I mean, at least she's active. She's but active. Is, right. <laughs> yes. It's like <laughs> and and Jangelina Jolie, as we said we would mention, she she was told she'd look like she said she was told she'd look like a lizard, right? Like that oh. she would have like some kind of reptilian form. Which she has what for you a second. see and, in the reflection. Right. And literally she filmed this over two days. Like yeah. it's not like she gave a ton of her time to this movie. And then she sees the movie and she's like, I'm just <laughs> naked. That's like I just look like Angelina Jolie and I'm naked. That that's that's what you came up with for me. So clearly she was she pretty much expressed her unhappiness, right? Yes. Like, she said that was she not. She said she felt yes. exposed. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, and this is that. the other thing I want to bring up. Much like Alan Richson being sort of the secret physical model, they hired a supermodel to be the body double, who I think they scanned sure. physically and modeled. I mean, it's Jolie's performance, but they digitally rendered this other woman's uh, presumably naked or scantily clad body. I, I just thought they used Frank Frazetta paintings. I mean, it just looks, you know, just <laughs> right. remarkable. It's ludicrous. I mean, I will say, as I said, in late 2007, I was working at this digital media company and able to track the metrics. Our gallery of pictures of Angelina Jolie from Beowulf was like our number one story for a month. So, I, I mean... I, I remember the audience being a uh, pin drop silent, uh, a Friday night opening IMAX screening. And it felt like, once again, this sort of like the edginess of this movie trying to be like, look, it's not for kids. It's not for kids. It feels like that is still her rising out of the water is still the single most photorealistic shot in the movie. And it feels like they put so much energy into that because he was like, people have to get horny when they see this. I'm trying to prove a point here. This isn't a fucking tune. They have to get boners when they see her pop out of the water. It's so funny because Brendan Gleeson looks like shit in this movie, but she looks so amazingly good. They really put a lot of attention into her. They Um, really did. To to support the the Joe Lee sentiment, I'm going to send you guys the link, a a microscopic merchandise spotlight. Uh, The action figure of Grendel's mother is the lizard form. 
They made an action figure that was sold in stores that looks like the lizard form that you never see fully in the movie. So I, I fully believe they intended they weren't just lying to her that at some late point they decided to go full cheesecake team that's that's wrong i mean i feel like jolie could have sued right but you know you're not going to sue zemeckis i mean but she was exploited if if she if she went you know at what point did they tell her they tell her opening night or did they did they i mean she says she went to the movie and was like i did not know this is what then that's totally thought for the first that is and i don't know if it was the premiere or an early screening but she said like she Uh, saw it and did not know that's what it was gonna look like i'm gonna say that's fucked up i'm gonna say that that's that's uh I, i do not approve and that is not righteous yeah it's like what you say ben it's like the weird moral of like he she seduces him it, but like i i get again if you read beowulf you you're you're trying to find some tension you're trying to find like flaws in the hero and so grendel's mother's sort of mysterious aspects like that it makes sense it's like yeah well, it, there has to be more going on with this woman right like you know but like you know, this is the thing about beowulf where i'm like i kind of like how berserk it is and how silly and how like swing for the fan like how high energy but also at the same i can't deny like it's kind of fucking it's like stupid as shit like dumb as a bunch of fucking but rocks how is this the original story how have we've continued to propagate the sleazy little king's assistant how is that still a thing that character sucks i always hate that character <laughs> you always hate that guy who's like yeah oh, i hate that me, guy sir. i always know that guy sucks <laughs> I'm, it's never tricked me. All right. Well, what about the, the the trusty friend of your hero character who is arguably more honorable and reliable than the guy himself? Well, that's a good character. If he has a beard yeah. braid and he's, uh, what's the actor's name? Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. If yeah. he's Brendan Gleeson, he's got a beard braid, then I feel good about it. But then how does the movie end? Oh, now his dick's going to get him into trouble, too. These damn dicks no, getting I, us I all into he's trouble. Resisting. The last shot. This no, movie has resisting. a great last shot because you you don't know. It does. That's this, what I This like. movie's yeah. good. I, Beowulf is good. This movie is good. I can't get over it. Beowulf it looks like shit. It's so, it hurts your eyes to watch. It's such garbage, but it's a good movie. I don't understand. It's good by a hair. It's like, it defies logic. It's somehow, and you're like, does, it's disqualified, right? It's automatically disqualified. It's not a real movie. The judges come in and right. they're like, I don't know what right. to tell you. It got a bronze medal. Somehow, right, like, it got a bronze. Right. They're like, but I saw it. That didn't, it, they didn't finish. <laughs> right, right, right. They fell. They fell. <laughs> they, they, I watched them fall. They fell into the fucking lake. It was like, yeah, I know, but. They never even we got on the balance beam. They stayed <laughs> right. in the locker room. The last shot of this movie is really smart. You think at first, just to fast forward. So Angelina Jolie, she's the sex witch. She's Eve. She's, you know, she's all these. Right. He goes to kill her. And she essentially seduces him and promises him power in in exchange for not killing her. Yeah, and yeah. they they fuck, right? Oh, they fuck. Okay, they, yeah, with hunting. Hey, by the way, you mentioned Unferth, this the 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 you know the grim worm tongue, the evil kind of sw- swarmy guy. Yes, Malkovich. Yeah. Malkovich gives Beowulf his sword, hunting, and it's like hunting will help you, and then hunting is no good as a sword in, you know, it can't defeat. And in the, in the, in the book, 
or in the poem, he finds another sword that works. They left that sword out. And the horn is not in the in the story either. That's made up for the movie. But my point is, scholars for a thousand years have been arguing, was Unferth's uh, bestowal of hunting meant in good faith or in bad faith? <laughs> and the movie does not answer the question because Malkovich is a good actor. You wouldn't know it because he looks like a PS2 cutscene. But he... he um, He's he's doing good things, and it's ambiguous. You know, you know. But the implication it, is he used that sword to kill his siblings, right? So there's yes. also this crazy. And he aspect. also laid with his mother and whatnot. It's a whole. But he thing. also got four stars in Grand Theft Auto, this, so this it's like hard guy. to tell really what's going on. Yeah, <laughs> right. He he didn't go full platinum, but he got a gold trophy. He got a bunch of the gold trophy. Right, right. He he has defeated the Rainbow <laughs> Road. That that is true. But, right, but but they're laying in this sort of unreliable narrator aspect of Beowulf, where like he only manages to sever Grendel's arm in the yes. door, and then immediately goes like, "I killed him! I killed him! I killed him!" Everyone celebrates yeah. him, and then he's like, "I gotta do due diligence. Go to the cave." kind of make sure this dude's right, dead. Right, right. You're talking about uh, Malkovich now. Yeah. Right. Yes, right. Um, yeah. But, so, what's fascinating to me is, well, first of all, the sword is named Hrunting. I mean, I, that just gets me hard right there. <laughs> I mean, so, Hrunting, is it the best sword? Is it the worst? Like, did, did, did he send, did Ulfgar, or whatever his name is, uh, Malkovich, did he send him off with a defective sword on purpose to try to get him killed or was he on the level he's like i you are now my new god i love you here's my best sword and we'll never know and the movie leans into this and it's like that and the last shot of gleason is like there are these ambiguous things in this film that on one side you would think is just made for the the 300 crowd there's not a lot of subtlety in 300 300 is what? does not uh lend itself to discussion whereas this you actually don't know <laughs> i like hunting sounds like a like a deep like fifth page deli menu item oh yeah you don't want stuffed derma here you want the hunting you want the hunter with a side of cash up. yeah yeah the hunting is good i like it with horseradish yeah so, so, so the implication is it's not the implication we know it's like he gets in the poem, Beowulf grows old and eventually kills the dragon, and that's what kills him. And that's it. There's no implication of where the dragon came from or anything like that. He just gets old. Yeah. But in this, he gets old because he lays with Grendel's mother, yeah. and she eventually gives birth to a dragon who's really a golden man who looks like Ray Winstone and is essentially like his sin coming to like claim his life right yeah and grendel is hrothgar's son y yes correct hrothgar right grendel being hrothgar's version of that yes i mean here's my thing i kind of agree with you guys where i'm just like in theory dragons are cool but i never actually get that excited about a dragon and and it just feels a little deflated especially because grendel and grendel's mother have so much personality that the second it becomes a dragon, I'm just kind of like, well, now it's just going to be a big fighty fighty. Yeah, thing. I feel like they could have done it. I mean, I, I, dragons are great. I dig a dragon. But like it could have been a Nazgul or something, right? right? Or a, a Ringwraith. Yeah. Or it could have been a weirder winged beast. It, it's very hard to to 
map a motion onto this dragon. Yeah. It looks cool, but it kind of deflates the emotional stakes of this is Beowulf fighting his yeah. son because it's so inhuman. But then again, he flies around and they're, they're on it and it's bright kind of yellowish orange against the, white, the gold. gray. They're all gold. Gray, gray, gold, yeah. And the, st- the snow and the, sn- and the, the, the gray and the snow and it looks nice. But It looks it, good. But all it, this it, stuff it, looks good. And Zemeckis having fun doing this like giant fight that he could never pull off. Yeah. But you're, but it is um, compared to the other two antagonists. It is, uh, it's 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 the bronze medal uh, to to go back. It's also telling that like when Zemeckis came in with his rewrite note to Avery and Gaiman and said like make it as big as you possibly can. This was the main thing that was changed mm. because in the script, thinking they were going to make a twenty million dollar movie, it was supposed to be a conversation. They had right. a long conversation and then there was like one final killing stroke and they were like, make it the most fucking knockout drag out. He's got him in his talons. He's flying him around the ocean sort of fight. And it does feel a little perfunctory in that way. It's just scale and scope for the sake of it. Yeah, uh, it's it's weird. But and also it's like at this point, you've been watching the CG for so long, you're kind of exhausted a little bit. Yeah. When if the movie lasted another ten minutes, it would have been like enough already. I can't take it. The movie should be a tight ninety. It's two hours Ugh. long. Hey, the movie's yeah. too long. I think it would work better if it was really just like half an hour an act, all action, all pendulous boobs, all you know nonsense, just total fucking heavy metal nonsense. Like they, they, it, it, it takes a it it spends a little too long on. I guess chatting like I, I I'm trying to yeah. think of where the sag is but it, yeah it's those sort of like where where there's they're fighting in the mead hall and stuff like I don't care I I think definitely the like the 10 minutes after the time jump with like Winstone and Allison Lohman is just yeah like the air letting out and that yeah there's yeah, the Frisian yeah. the Frisian hordes are coming I am Fife the Frisian and I'm it's yeah like, could have cut that guy out. That's the that was a Tom Bombadil yeah. waiting to happen. Let's get rid of that guy. You know, I mean. But it is one of these things where, like, the movie by the skin of its teeth, I guess, is good for all of its baggage, for all of its moral yeah. and ethical issues. And well, the making no, but of this the, is the thing: it, like, the movie is it rules except for all of the fatal errors, as you say. Right. Like, you know, right. it's basically it's a zero, but it also rules. I guess. But it's also one of those things where you're like, if they did a remaster of this shave 20 minutes off of it, 15 minutes off of it, and made it look less creepy, like pushed it into a more stylized realm. If it looked more painterly and less photorealistic with the advancements we have, you'd be like, yeah, that thing's like a hard seven. Yeah. Right. It's like a 7.5. If you somehow were able to do this live action, now obviously you couldn't do all of these shots. The camera doing cartwheels is just through the roof, but uh, literally. Uh, But if you somehow did it live action... With the same script, it would be incredible. It would just be incredible. Beowulf, no. yeah. I, he he could also. I I need to know who he is. I I was really confused. You know, he says I am Beowulf. He could really remind a lot. Me. But there's one moment where he's eaten by a sea serpent, and he comes out through the eye of the sea serpent. <laughs> yes. How can you be? Yes. And he goes like, no. Ah! He doesn't even say I am Beowulf. He just says Beowulf. He just pronounces his name. Beowulf. Beowulf. I mean, if I'm ever eaten by a sea serpent uh, and then I come out through the eye, I'll say my name. You know, that's the- how can I be mad at a movie where the thing you just described happens and Ray Winstone plays Beowulf? That's the problem. Yeah, you kind of can't. Ben, come on, Ben. You like the chains. 
this movie is is Ben friendly in many ways, yes, just absolutely. in terms of the silliness. I would say. Well, I mean, it's it's so close to homework. It's close. <laughs> I know, right, right. And so that's just your, yeah, it's, your, it's trash, which I honestly love. Like I brought up before we started recording, this movie is in the tradition, uh, you know, that would then lead to Warcraft, right? Another yes. bad course, movie yes. that I the actually kind of tradition. love. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Of course, we've passed down Beowulf, Warcraft, those stories. Um, Griff, should we should we do Warcraft as a Ben's choice? I think we should. I think we should because it's important because it's going to lead to more movies. I mean, we we can't. They're going to keep there. making those. Uh, yeah, but, right, but they're right. they're almost the inverse of each other, Ben. Because Warcraft is like, here's this thing that everyone finds really fun, and Duncan Jones is like, okay, hold on one second, stick with me here. I'm going to turn it into homework. <laughs> <laughs> and this movie you is need the to opposite. know about it's, all the factions. Right. right yeah. It takes like homework and is like, I'm going to make this so fucking punk rock and trashy. Like Zemeckis is trying so hard. Like kids, come back here. Come on. E -e -e look, they're titties. <laughs> Yes, of course, right? Drink your Which mead. Would make it into my drink your mead. All these things would make it into my book report if I was using that as my source material. Yeah. Right. Uh to answer your question though, David, I've it's the visuals. You can't get past it. They're yes, so I, I, bad. I, they are so bad. So bad. Yeah, that's the thing. There is so there there's it's a movie of extremes. On the one hand, the visuals are unbearable. And on the other hand, he jumps through a sea serpent's eyeball and says his own name. The, the, you yeah. can't argue with that. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're both extremes. I mean, how do you? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. They wrestle within me. It comes down to, are, do you, are you a pessimist or an optimist? I mean, ultimately, I got to take the good, you know? Uh, otherwise, why get up in the morning? Not to get too heavy, man. But I got to take jumping through the eyeball over the awful truly repugnant and repulsive visuals of this film for me the goblet of meat is half full <laughs> yeah there you go me too me too all right let's play the box office game this movie it was so like Griff, almost you, a hit almost a hit yeah well it made 195 worldwide which was probably just about enough to not yeah. ruin steve bing's investment or whatever you know what i mean but it made 82 domestic oh not good not good not great you know, versus like Polar it, Express or whatever. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's okay. It opened fairly well, right? It opened like high 20s? Uh, 27 on November 16th. Pretty yeah. good opening. Yeah, it drops off. It 40%. falls off a cliff you know, it, eventually into the ocean. <laughs> gets eaten by a sea serpent. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, it did fine. It did fine. Um, let's talk about this box office, though, Griffin. It's a weird one. So we're, we're in November... 2007. So this is my freshman year, my only full semester of college before I dropped right. out. I, I have just graduated from college, yes. So in America, like normal kind of situation. Yeah, like normal person. In Britain, that's where I went to college. Uh, what? Oh my God. I'm just calling my shot. This might be one of those top fives that I answer very quickly because this was such okay. a foundational movie going period for me because for the first time in my life i needed people to drive me to the movie theater because you're in california right i was in california i was in college i am afraid of cars so i movies i i was very strategic about theater going but was had my tabs on everything the, and this is when i worked for people magazine as a plucky young intern and i did a lot of red carpet and i covered the red carpets of two of these five in the top 
five. Ooh. So number one is Beowulf. Number two, it's in its third week. It's made $93 million. It's an animated film. And yes, I covered the red carpet. Is it B-movie? B-movie! Yep, yep. Honey just got funny. Yep. I'm telling you, I, I remember this vividly. And now, now that you gave me the red carpet hint, I believe I know what one of the other five is. Uh, fair. Well, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so B movie Jerry Seinfeld. I got to talk to Jerry Seinfeld on the red carpet and Renee Zellweger. Um, that's what Ray I Liotta, Private Select. Um, B movie. B movie. Uh, Rock is in that one. I don't think he came to London for the premiere. No. Who else is in that? You ask me. More of a C movie. <laughs> oh wow! Have you seen B movie? I actually never have. I no. I've seen segments of B movie. I've never been able to watch the whole thing. I've done the thing on YouTube with the video where it gets twice yes. as fast every time he says honey or bee or whatever. Well, I think it's bee, e- right? Every yeah, variation okay. exists. Every variation exists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I've seen the memes. I've seen the B movie memes, Barry B. Benson, like jazz, all that good stuff, but I've never actually seen it. But that. that's like such a perfect example of movie I would have taken my sister to see and gone like, oh, I got to take care of my sister, but really I wanted to see B-movie or would have dragged a bunch of teenage friends to go see under the auspices of it being an ironic viewing. And instead, I was like, I have to make tough choices here. Either I go see No Country for Old Men or (laughs) B-movie. Only one car ride is going to happen this week. So number three at the box office was a big Oscar contender that didn't really pan out, but it was a hit. It's a pretty good movie. American it's a Gangster? crime movie. Yes. American Gangster. Ridley Scott's American Gangster. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, what, you know what I mean, Griff? Like, that was the 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 front runner. You know, it was yeah. just kind of like, wow, come on. Like, this thing is just going to completely destroy. And I remember it being fine. And I'd a big like fucking hit. And it, it, the album yeah. sells a ton. And then it gets just Ruby D, right? Uh, it gets Ruby D, and yeah, maybe that was the only nomination. You don't like American Gangster? I saw it. I have no memory of it whatsoever. I, I don't have much memory of it. It had an art direction. It, I remember it looking good, like costumes yeah. it's got and, some mood. you know, it's, uptown. Yeah. yeah. I remember it being fine. I, I Ridley Scott, at the, you know, I mean... Oh, don't, don't, don't you dare. Uh, no, Get, uh, no, no, you be careful. I mean, like, I don't know. If you're going to... He's made a lot of boring movies. I agree with you, Jordan. How dare you? This is outrageous and disgusting. This is deplorable. Stop the count. I would watch Beowulf any day of the week over 85% of Ridley Scott's output. Oh, wow. Um, I can't even litigate that. We have to move on to number four at the box office. You want to litigate it? You might want to hire a counselor. <laughs> I do That's like exactly the counselor. Counselor, Blade that Runner, counselor and Alien. slaps. Counselor's like slapped. his Beowulf. That's it. If the counselor slapped you, you'd fucking end up in like the Bahamas. That's how hard it slaps. It would ben, slap you across the country. Ben, have you ever seen the counselor? I have not. It's maybe oh, the closest God. anyone's come to making night eggs. Oh, yes. Fuck. All right. Scum the, and the counselor, the counselor on my it's, list. Right. The counselor is also the scummiest movie of the decade. But anyway, look, yeah. we can get on the counselor. It's too late for us to delve into that right now because we have to talk about the Christmas comedy. Fucks a car. Oh, Christmas comedy. Uh, that okay. is number four at the box office. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. Fred Claus. It is Fred Claus. Wow. Yes. Wow. Um, with uh, Vince Vaughn. Paul Giamatti as a Jewish Santa Claus. He's not really. But is, is that a Dennis? Is that a Dennis Dugan joint? No, it's, it's not. Uh, it's, it's fucking uh, David Dobkin. David Dobkin, the judge himself, who finally made a good movie this year. What was his movie? 
Eurovision, baby. Mm. Eurovision. I take a Fred Claus over that. All right. Number five. It's new this week. It's the other movie that the red carpet. I covered the red carpet for. Lions for Lambs. It's not Lions for Lambs. What? That is number eight. That is number oh my eight. God. So I'm that's so out. Uh, confident. Okay. That another. That's another one where I covered the red carpet. Now right. this one. Uh, how to even explain this movie? Um, Give me a it's genre. Got a silly title. Uh, family. Family. It's a family film. It's new family. this week. It's a bomb. 2007, silly Does title. it star a, a, an African-American comic? It does not. It stars a... Uh, it stars two Oscar-winning actors. I think one of them had not yet won her Oscar. Oh, it's Mr. Megorium's uh, Wonder Emporium. It's Mr. Megorium's Oscar Emporium. It's about I how was, they make the trophies. They make the trophies. It's Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. Yeah. Uh, Zach Helms. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium with Dustin Hoffman, Natalie Portman, uh, Jason Bateman, right? He's he's the yes. villain, maybe. I mean, fundamentally, a movie representing the the last gasps before studios let algorithms decide which movies got made. <laughs> like, that's a movie that a computer never greenlights. Yeah, computers... Like the trap door opens before you even get to the pitch right. meeting. Right. Right. Yeah. Grendel shows up for those. <laughs> for those. Yeah. He was such a hot spec screenwriter. He had written Stranger Than Fiction. And people were like, is this guy Diet Charlie Kaufman? Is he Charlie Kaufman but commercial? Right. And off of the excitement of that movie, Sony greenlit his directorial film. They were like, you're going to win an Oscar in 2006. So 2007, we'll hit him with a family comedy. And he got fucking Dustin Hoffman, Natalie Portman, and Jason he, Bateman. He hasn't made a movie since. No. Hey, you you make it, a, you know, it's like Harper Lee. You know, you knock it out of the park and then why go back? You know, it's Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. I hope like 50 years from now when he's on death's bed, his children are like, our father made a follow-up. He never wanted it released. <laughs> it's the ghost at a watchman of old man Magorium. <laughs> right. Turns out he was a total racist. Count Griff, number six is Dan in real life. Put on my tab. Put it on my tab. Number seven is No Country for Old Men. And it's second week expanding, getting ready to win an Oscar. You also have lines for lambs. You have Saw 4, the fourth of the Saws. So Mandalore, Custis Mandalore, yeah, Mandalore is running the table in this box office. God, that is a great, <laughs> that is a great point. That was That's when Costas Mandalore was fucking at the, the, the high roller table for one to two years, <laughs> dining out on Saw's three to six i want to say something like that like he's in a lot of them folding the box off is like laundry was he did, you know there there was a there was a character named hoffman in the saw movies he he is hoffman he's he hoffman. is hoffman he he's kind of the main character of every saw movie that no one remembers he becomes the main detective right uh yes yeah exactly and he probably eventually turns into I don't know, a bear trap or whatever. You know, I, I don't know what happened. That movie gets very, th that series is very convoluted. Yeah. That franchise is such a cash cow for him because his quote went up to like $65,000 per song. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, 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 if, if he used a skill saw, it really would have been good. But oh, uh, I mean, <laughs> hopefully, Spiral, once we open the book. 
the book of Saw. We have to open the book of Saw. We need the vaccine so we can open the book of Saw. It has to happen. This isn't natural. We're not supposed to live this way. We're supposed to have opened the book of Saw months ago. Yes. All right. We did it. 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 Jordan, what a pleasure. <laughs> I don't know why it that was. was funny, but it was. it was. Yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Fun time. It was all right. No, it was Beowulf great. with the boys. I'm telling you something. I watched Beowulf again earlier today for the first time in 13 years. And I I had a good I I, I like this movie. It's so it's so confounding to me. I, I, I was positive Wolf. on it in theaters. I hadn't seen it since. I bought it on iTunes when I saw it on sale recently, knowing we were going to have to cover it. And my takeaway is I'm buying that fucking Blu-ray so I can watch picture in picture. Like, I will watch Beowulf again at some point in my life, voluntarily. Sure. I'm going to do it right now. And it's funny because I, I am not a Zemeckis completist. You know, there's a lot of his stuff I haven't seen. Such as? I've never seen I've never seen Polar Express or Christmas Carol. Oh boy. Yeah. That's okay. You're not missing much. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Christmas Carol's the Christmas Carol's the last one I haven't seen. I've seen every movie he released since then. I missed The Walk. Sure. I missed uh a few others, but Yeah, you don't need to go for a walk. Yeah, you can take a seat. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> What if he, if the walk had been such a hit, oh, the seat. he had to make yeah. a sequel called The Seat. <laughs> the Rest. <laughs> the Nap. I liked Allied. I liked, you know. Hey, Jordan. Yes. I'm all about Allied. David's been shitting on Allied since day one. For years, That's I've been defending so Allied on this podcast. It's the number one reason I'm excited to do yeah, Zemeckis. Yeah, Allied's good. Because I want justice for Allied. I think David's going to rewatch it. And I think, think I was probably in the theater cool. with you, David, when we saw Allied. Uh, yeah, it was days after Trump got elected, and you had long predicted his victory, and I would, would always get so mad at you, and then you were right. I know. I, I am one of my... I'm I'm upset about that, but I knew You're I knew right. I knew somehow I know. Oh, did he know? But you know, it's funny. There's a couple of his biggies that I've never seen. I've sort of, for whatever reason never got around to Castaway. Sure, and I never saw What Lies Beneath either. Good movie. I guess that year is the same year they came out. I watched neither of them. You'd like those. You should check those out. Yeah, I probably should. And I I was I, Death Becomes Her. I know was a big cult hit. I remember seeing that in the theater and not being on its wavelength at all you might be 28 years on you might be who knows but anyway yeah i might like it now yeah all all three of those movies are more interesting now just as like wow they let people make these all right but anyway anyway you were wrapping us up Griffin. yeah no yeah we're wrapping it up i we all got stuff to do uh just real quick um it's good good seeing you guys you know wait wait ben jordan weren't you gonna announce something or did i make that up did i forget that oh no (laughs) I was. Now it's late. Well, uh, you know, by the time this airs, because we've already recorded, I'm doing a new podcast. Whoa. For those who liked the sound, the mellifluous sounds of my dulcet tones, a friend of mine, maybe you guys know him. His name is John DeVore. He's an internet guy. Yep. He's a writer. He's an award-winning writer. He's a he's a real, yes, the real deal. He's won a bunch of crap. Uh, John DeVore is obsessed with the movie, uh, with David Lynch's Dune. Yes. So uh, we have recorded mm. a mini series called the Dune Conversations, mm-hmm. uh, four four uh, thirty minute shows allegedly about the movie Dune. 
And uh, by now, hopefully it's out and people are listening to it. Or at least, it, you know, they can if they want. Hell yeah. Uh, check it out in the show description. We'll have links. Oh, yeah. Links. Yeah. Forget about yeah. it. Links. Uh, yeah. <laughs> great. Great plug, uh, Jordan. Unfortunately, I think it is going to fall on deaf ears. I cannot that, imagine <laughs> that appealing to our listenership. A very obsessive dorky mini series about a film that most people dismiss i don't think yeah you're you're barking up the right tree but i'd love to be proven wrong that sounds great can't wait uh really quick uh guys next week you know just remind um the fans uh my untitled slow christmas album uh is slated to be released uh around the uh a christmas carol uh episode uh so let's oh god i forgot stay tuned for that um yes let's (laughs) yes of course uh by all means please uh keep your eyes peeled to blank check media social uh, blank check social media accounts for uh information on the drop of ben hosley's slow christmas album and uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, thanks to Andrew Gouda for our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, Joe Bone Pet Rounds for our artwork. Uh, go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit and go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we're digging into those Ridley Scott alien movies as he comes back on the That's franchise. Right. Makes you ask a lot of questions about God. Can't wait. God and rabbits. Um, tune in next week for Christmas Carol and Ben's album. <laughs> oh yeah, I want to hear that. Of course. A- and as always, <laughs> Robert Zemeckis is the only filmmaker with the courage to do an entire action sequence in the style of Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me's opening credit sequence. Yeah.